Hey ho, welcome everyone to the Concrete Wasteland. This is, I think, episode 72. It has been several months since we've done an episode, and I do apologize, but I brought a friend, and that friend is my dear bass compadre, Sean Roach. Hola. Um, Sean is the bassist for a band called Hot Lemonade, and I think he does a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll, we'll find out. We're going we're gonna to pick his brain a little bit, but a little tidbit into how Sean and I know each other. Um, we met way back when I think we were like 15 or 16 because we went to high school together. We sure did, man. Back when uh, the hair on his chin was on his head. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, man. I've kind of done a little switcheroo. But um, tell me a bit about like, what have you been up to like throughout your entire, I guess, musical, musical career? Because when I met you, you were kind of... From what I understood, because I knew next to nothing mm. about the music and the scene in general, but you seem like the go-to basis for like anyone our age. And on top of that, you were also the dude at the music shop. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> so like, I was working at a, I started working at Evangelos Music back then. It was just called the uh, UCOM, but I worked at the music store like my last year of high school. And uh, like, leading up to that. I started playing bass when I was 10 and then started playing drums when I was 11 and took lessons through UCOM there. And pretty much because of that, it introduced me to all of my like early childhood musical friends and compadres. And then just getting into like a, a local band here and there. And mostly just in high school is about finding like garage jam bands. Of course, like, like most, most of us youngins <laughs> get us starting oh, or yes. start doing that. Uh, and then quickly, like I think it was around grade six I just decided I was like, I need to be in like a Metallica cover band at some point <laughs> because Cliff Burton is fucking God. Um, so yeah, from grade six on, it was just like metal up your ass and the original four thrash bands. And that carried me through most of high school. And of course, you know, I listened to all different types of metal, but like my highlights of high school time are like spending absurd amounts of time in basements with like all kinds of gnarly metal heads from the community. And like, I had, you know, a couple, a couple of dudes kind of, they take me under their wing and growing up with friends like, you know, Zach Jolliker and stuff too. Mm. Um, yeah, we did lots of music and together and yeah, it was fun, man. Um, then like, then it became not just jamming in the garage, but like getting involved in like metal shows and stuff and going out, being a part of them. Yeah. That was like, that, fuck, was, that uh, was cool. Man, I don't know for you, but uh, for me, that was a huge, like just game changer and like, Oh so this isn't just a thing that I can do at home when I'm like feeling like it or throw on a CD and listen to it and be like, oh, that was cool. Yeah, man. Like I can actually participate in this. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think one thing that was like super, super important for me getting excited about playing shows and getting into like the live music scene when I was, you know, my young strictly metalhead self um, was watching uh, Cliff Hamall. Okay, I don't think I'm familiar with that. So that was a special movie documentary kind of put together just all in uh, tribute to Cliff Burton. Okay. Yeah, so like tons of cool live uh, footage dating all the way back. Yeah, Cliff Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like starting back as early as, you know, live shows in the Bay Area with Dave Mustaine when he was still in in Metallica all the way up until that last leg of like the Master of Puppets tour when, you know, unfortunate accident took place. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's so like getting stoned and fucking watching that shit was like, man, this is like the coolest shit ever. And then realizing that like there were a few places in town that would, you know, allow bands to, you know, all gather together and put on these live metal shows. And like, 
I think for me, the first time that I performed Metal Live was down at King Cooley Park. Oh, in the dang. little amphitheater there. Yeah, and just like fucking counting in, you know, the four strokes to to Whiplash, and just like getting to play like Metallica, like my idol band at the time, like live. Oh man, as a kid too, that's got to be it's such perfect. a fun moment. Like, oh, dude, it was life changing. Oh hell yeah! I still remember like the Megadeth like fucking rest in peace long sleeved shirt that I was wearing <laughs> that day because like I think it was maybe a week or two prior to that that we got to go see uh, Megadeth at their 25th anniversary rest in peace tour. Oh shit! In Calgary, so it was like Megadeth was the headliner, and then before that you had Testament, and then the opening was Exodus. Damn! Fucking bonded by blood. Oh man, that's Chuck Billy going the thrash lineup there. Damn. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that was, you know, it's it's cool how talking about it brings up all these memories that I haven't thought about for a long time. But going back and like working my way through the process of how did I get to where I am now? Because, you know, back then I was only 16, 17 years old. And here I am now, 28, back in Medicine Hat, you know, come full circle. I've had chances to travel and live across Canada. And most recently I was in Saskatoon before coming back in 2017. That's right. I was wondering where you just disappeared to for a while there. Because mm-hmm. for... Like you just randomly were back. It was like, oh, it's Sean. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> you haven't been here for a while. No, man, I was gone. I was gone as fuck. Yeah. Um, shit. It kind of ties into everything really. But like I left the hat back in 2012 because um, just to kind of put it simply, I was spiritually in a much different place than I'm at now. And so I felt compelled to go do some mission work with uh, with a particular ministry based out of Ottawa, and it was all Catholic and shit, and you know whatever. I was I was into it at the time. I was yeah. just whatever. That, that's the space that I was at. I went from being this like hardcore like you know metalhead high school fucking punk to like you know having like a what I thought was like a coming to Jesus moment, and then yeah, I found this really cool charismatic group of people who were like, we travel across Canada and play music and do retreats, you know, for a whole year, and you should try it out, and so. At the time, that I'd seems, actually... That it, seems not like a that bad of a thing if you no, like put that into perspective at that time, right? Yeah, like I was into like the Catholic cult, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was that was my jam, so... It, well, it makes sense. I mean, the high school we went to was very good at getting people on board there sometimes. They, they oh. were very open with you if you weren't, but yeah. they were very good with preaching their message is I guess the best way of putting it, I guess. Yeah. Well, of course, if you're going to like, especially if you go to Catholic public school all the way up, you know, from kindergarten to grade 12, like you're going to hear a lot about it and stuff. And I think like looking back on it now, I was very, I was, I was just fucking young. I didn't know a lot. So like, I thought that, you know, um, it's kind of something that's inescapable because, you know, people get raised in particular cultures yep. and you're taught certain things and you're given certain lenses with which to view the world and interpret all types of events, you know, good and bad. So like that kind of brought me all the way up to, you know, high school and then, you know, grade, grade nine, I've fucking smoked my first joint and was like, wait a sec, <laughs> Catholics aren't allowed to do this. What the fuck? That's stupid. Like this shit's awesome. So then yeah, grade nine was when I fell away from like any kind of like, you know, going to church and practicing, you know, like, you know, Christianity and stuff. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting when you're going from 
you know, being like a practicing Christian to like, you know, being hardcore and a slayer. And you're like, oh, God hates us all. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. That's quite the 180. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's, you know, it's, it's a time in everyone's life. That's always going to be incredibly nuanced. And when you're growing up and trying to figure out how to view the world and decide what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. It's gonna, it's gonna have so much ebb and flow. And I think, um, I think it wasn't bad at all experiences that I went through. I think it was all very important and I don't care where someone ends up as far as like, you know, belonging to a particular religion or, or whatever. It's like, as long as it allows you to be a good person and you're not taking advantage of people, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, just yeah. briefly, that's uh, why I felt I had to bring up with like the high school we went to. Uh, Cause we had to take religious studies. If you wanted to participate in the ceremonies mm-hmm. of everything, you had to take religious studies through but what I really appreciated... Shout out to Mr. Kelly. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that because um, I came into the Catholic school board in grade eight. So mm-hmm. like I came from a very Christian family. My uncle's a pastor, has been a preacher for decades yeah. like, since I've known him. And so although uh, I stopped really going to church at that time because my grandparents just stopped trying to force me. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things where with everything I dealt with in my life, I was like, I, I can have my faith and not feel obliged to ruin my Sunday. Mm. Like guys, I don't like anyone there. Don't make me go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then also going to like, um, I guess, uh, Christian or faith based, faith based, um, summer camps. Yeah. yeah. That, that too. Like one Hashtag thing I really, camp McCoy, Oh, Sorry. camp McCoy, <laughs> whispering pines. If it was just the Christian end, like I, I liked paintball. I liked archery. Right? All the other stuff was just stuff to get by. And what I really liked was when they're like, all right, guys, we're doing cabin challenges and we have to use something from the Bible to make something good. And my brain is just like, okay, here's a, what if we did this? Cause a part of me, like, even though I've, I won't, I'll say I lost my faith at a young age, but I masqueraded a lot longer, both in myself and outwardly. Like mm-hmm. I already like, to a degree, realized that I lost my faith, but I was also projecting the opposite of that as much as possible because it didn't seem right. You know, you come, you grow up in a Christian family, you go to a Catholic school, you deal yeah. with all this stuff. You're like, I don't think I believe in all this, but I'm going to follow the tradition, follow the mannerism, just yeah. do all this to get by and figure out what's up. And then what I really liked encounter to these um, Christian camps where you can kind of get creative and be like, Oh, how can I play like the faith card on them and yeah. make them go, Oh, that was so creative. Oh, you, you yeah. recreated this with that. Oh, that's so, Oh yeah. yeah. You guys, 10 points to Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but then uh, you get to 11th grade and 12th grade with Kelly and he's like, all right, so here's the shindig. Yeah. We're going to learn about everyone now. What? Yeah. So, um, you know, that poster I have there with like all the different religious symbols and all the things, like all the different religions that assembled with them, yeah. we're just going to do a brief half semester on breaking down how we are all the same and all preaching the same stuff. We just have different perspectives on mm-hmm. who, what, or where this all comes from. And it was like, that helped reinstill my lack of faith, but also, um, preserve some faith in, the ideology of religion, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I, th- I think that was honestly like, okay. So when that started to happen, I remember hearing from like, you know, parents and teachers being like, you know, oh, like Sean Kelly is like talking about other stuff and he's getting all like lukewarm and, you know, they were using stupid terms like, like woo woo and yeah. you know, all this, whatever. but it's like, but in reality, yeah, Sean Kelly was just trying to, I think, create a much less, um, like rigid and super um, 
what's the word? Like, it's important to learn about like a specific faith if you're going to like a, a school that's built on those values, oh, right? But like when you're getting into the ages of high school, it's like you're going to be hearing about other ways to see the world. And so at least like talking about it is important. Especially um, when you're in a system that is very gung ho on making sure the, uh, what's the word I'm, ceremonies and customs are accurately uh, done throughout the school, like Lent. Yeah. Like going down and having the assemblies on lighting all the, like lighting the candles every week and going through that process. And once you get to that age, it's like, okay, we've done this for ever mm-hmm. why like yeah. outside of outside of like what we've been talking about, like why is this a thing and then yeah. and then having someone who was able to connect mm-hmm. with all those different individuals like my cousin dana who's heavily not catholic she's uh very jewish and she went very there. cool yeah and she was able to talk to kelly throughout all those religious studies like going into 11th grade being like oh god damn it, i don't want to take this like what kind of judaism was she was um, like was she just, like messianic or was it like more traditional more tr- uh messianic i think okay. it, it wasn't like anything too orthodox just more so like back, uh, background history if that thing. yeah because like i know messianic judaism is about like they believe that jesus is like who he says he was which is like the messiah yeah but then they still practice a lot of the customs that are judaism that really derive their um, there's significance from like, from like old Testament stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah. I find it's just a different cultural aspect yeah. on it. And, um, I thought that she was from what I understood, and we've talked about it a few times, like very uncomfortable. And then throughout the end of it, although she still doesn't like it, like she went through the ceremony, she was able to get through it and walked away with a better appreciation, if not for this religious studies, for yeah. the professor who tried to at least branch out and be like, okay, Mm-hmm. Hey guys, so um, I don't really care which one you are. I really don't. Like, let's let's not pretend here. Let's we're like we're in the we're in the religious class. Like, we're just we're gonna get through this. We're gonna learn mm-hmm. things. We aren't that different. Like, you just have to do this to get through, and I get that. So I'm mm-hmm. just not gonna make it droll. Versus um, tenth grade and ninth grade. What man? I do not miss those religion textbooks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's um. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I think is also changing with the times. And I know it's so cliche to say that, but I think we've really entered a new era of learning and communication and like self-discovery because, you know, everyone's walking around with like a supercomputer in their pocket. Right. Yeah. And you can be, you know, learning about so much different stuff all, all at the same time and like in a much broader way. So I think we're, I think we're on the precipice of not like religions all becoming obsolete, but I think the way we view other belief systems is going to be changing and become a lot less rigid. I see things needing to become more of like a melting pot than ever before. They're they're evolving. I think is the best way to look at it. Religions are evolving. And I I think actually, um, I know as much as people like to hate on the Vatican and how archaic the overall (laughs) idea of the Vatican is Mm. the principle, the idea that the most recent Pope has been as, for lack of a better word, extreme in his viewpoints on modern society compared to his predecessors and Mm. how open he's been on worldviews that, quite frankly, if you took a Pope from 40 years ago and put him in that position, oh, wow, the things he would say. (laughs) Oh, fuck, yeah, man. Like, (laughs) god damn, you want people to carry you around on some fucking chair that takes, like, four people to lift, like, even 40 years ago? Damn. (laughs) Maybe 50 years ago. Yeah. But still, like, yeah. Like, Like, and that's a really, like, that shows, like, the the religions are evolving. And as Mm. much as there's 
there's a lot of shit happening across the board when you look at extremist views on it. What fundamentally matters is outside of those, the majority of the people that are practicing these things mm. are evolving how they do so in a way that I do not have the same viewpoint on Christians and Catholics that I did say eight or nine years ago when it came to when they were heavily indoctrinated, like yeah. past the point of being able to see reason and using like scriptures as ways to mm. bypass norms, especially when you quote old Testament. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry when you go to old Testament as um, any kind of um, Christian esque based faith, a lot of the old Testament's been rewritten in the new, like a lot of the things that they tell you to do, the new Testament comes around and goes like, mm, actually, mm. Turn the other cheek there. Maybe, maybe don't kill yeah. everyone. Maybe, maybe treat people with kindness and respect yeah. and as you're equal across the board instead of putting people, pitting people against each other. And totally, it, man. Well, it, like when you think about it, like literally in a, from a historical standpoint, like Jesus was the, f- one of the first prominent figures in women's rights because like the classic story you hear about, and I forget which guy. Oh, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah, Mary Magdalene. Yeah, so it's like you know she gets found, you know, doing what she wants to do, which is fuck, and that's totally reasonable. Back then, of course, it was a, it was a different culture, and they wanted to like kill her with rocks. Yeah, they were going to stone her. <laughs> she, like not the good kind, you know. And that's where that um, that's where the line "Let he who is without sin cast the first stone" comes from. My exactly, yeah, hundred percent. That's what he, he said that to like the religious elites who were all gathered around because like it was going to be a big spectacle. It was yeah. going to be a big um affirmation of like this is why we do what we do and this is what happens if you you know you know basically fuck up and do this yeah. one sin and Jesus is like why don't you just like fucking chill because y'all aren't perfect and um like just trying to set a good example yeah. so like there's lots of like practical and really really good like values and historical you know aspects to like you know the story of Christianity and like you know a lot of the whys it's just it gets tricky when you have people who are leaders of that and are in a place of power and influence. And then they do something scandalous. Yeah. Um, you know, like we could talk about all kinds of crazy shit. That's oh, like the televangelist right? in the United States for like 30 years straight. Like, and mm-hmm. that's a really good, like extreme example of like someone with a lot of power in the Christian community <laughs> really using that to their advantage at the detriment of the people that oh, come to their dude. congregations. I bought a jet and yeah. then I bought two more jets. Yeah. I'm going to give you more of my money, sir. Yes. Yeah. Buy more jets. But you know, they buy the jets. So they, they say like, like back in the day, like if you ever get a chance to go down a funny fucking YouTube rabbit hole, it's like, if you ever watch like, like, Televangelists, like you said, from like 20, 30 years ago, yeah. it's like they'll, they'll, they'll like literally say shit like every time you give me money, Satan gets a black eye. You know, yeah. it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Oh. And then people are susceptible and they believe it and they just, you know, they. It's, it's preying on uh, not the weak minded, <laughs> but preying on those who are in a trying time and are looking for some kind of. And we can look at right yeah. now with what we're dealing with. It's people looking for some sense of normalcy or some sense mm. of security amongst a thing that they don't know how it's going to end. And for a lot of people, that could be numerous things. That could be relationships. That could be bad jobs. That could be illnesses in the family. And those are the most susceptible to that type of manipulation. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we're seeing less of it. I, well, I don't know. I wouldn't want to say that we're seeing less of it. I'm glad that we're seeing more individuals go against it. Because unfortunately, a lot of these like big televangelists, mm-hmm. out there, they're still going. They yeah. still got their big mega churches. Like, yeah, um, 
I don't know if you've watched any of them, but John Oliver did a really good teardown on them like three, four years ago and actually created his own pseudo church. Oh, yeah. After yeah, figuring yeah. out like, no, this is how you do it. All right, then yeah. we're going to create our own. Dude. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, trying to like trying to understand like how all these different systems operate. And I think it's just something that comes with time. Like being able to share relatable experiences is really cool. And that's really important. Um, I think talking about it is, is more important now than ever. And like, this isn't all for, for me to say like that. I, you know, I think that, you know, Christians and Catholics are out to lunch and they're wacky. It's like, no man, there's, there's a lot of good that comes from that. Like, um, but I think, yeah, like you said it best, like people are evolving and this is going to kind of, this is going to tap into something else that I'm super passionate about. But like I'm, I'm into history. I'm right mm-hmm. now. I'm really, really getting into specifically Egyptology. Okay. The study of ancient Egypt. Um, and There's something so fascinating about that era. Oh dude. Fuck. Like you can talk about so much right now. I think my, my, my favorite part of Egyptology that I'm really focusing on is, um, people who have pushed the boundaries of legitimate study down there mm-hmm. and have like, like come to discover new things that are actually going to be changing the history books. Like there's a really good book called um, the origins of the Sphinx Ooh. by uh, Robert shock. And uh, the guys like Robert shock and Graham Hancock, um, they've been doing lots of research like for decades, decades and decades um, down in Egypt. And they found like, for example, the whole premise of this book, the origins of the Sphinx is pertaining to the discovery that um, the Sphinx is much older than we thought it was. Oh, that makes sense. And they found out how old it is based on like the erosion markings on the side of it. We thought for the longest time that it was um, just wind and sand. But actually, what's been discovered is that the erosion markings on the Sphinx and on the side and all around it were only caused by um, torrential downpour. But the crazy thing about that is that the last time there was torrential downpour in that area of the world was like 10 to 12,000 B.C., which so makes, way, way before the times of ancient Egypt. Then. Yeah. Wow. And wow. like, but they've like done research to carbon date for the most part, I think. And like, they've found that, you know, like the Sphinx, the way it was built and where it was built and what it's made out of, like it's around a similar time to when like certain pyramids and temples were being built yeah. too. So regardless of like, you know, which structure is how old to know that the Sphinx is that much older means that the Egyptian civilization it was a was, lot older than we thought too then by that yeah mentality, or at least uh aspects of it because it could oh, be yeah. multiple different tribes too yeah so i've been reading a lot about that and i'm at the part of the book where they're talking about a lot of the pushback just you know from like you know more contemporary science scientific bodies of people that are like yeah we just don't want to we don't want to change all the books we don't want to make it you know edits and stuff and, and so what if it's older and it's like that's not the point science is supposed to be open to perpetually you know, updating itself. Yeah, no, and learning. That's, that's something I think we all have to. Um, everything has to kind of evolve from too. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one one thing, and then uh, we'll quickly go into some of the song. But it's mm-hmm. directly based on what you said, and it's actually partially why I left college the second time. Because uh, when I went to college both times, I was going to be a social studies. Uh, first, it was a social studies PE teacher. Mm. Then it was a social studies drama teacher. Just because I, by the second time I went around, I was like, you know what, athletics was fun, but music is my main outlet that really overtook everything athletics was doing for me when I was a kid I needed athletics to get aggression out and also to teach me some like just respect mannerisms Mm. containment just it helped me deal with a lot of shit yeah dude and I take a lot of that into what I do musically now 
Mm-hmm. But um, the second time around when I went into everything, the first semester was all right. Like I got through it. I was like, okay, did my practicum. Not overly like fond of the way junior high is kind of going, like yeah. the way they go about things right now. But and neither here nor there. I think I can get through this, but I'm really liking this music thing. And then cool. the second semester starts and I'm just going to move. But um, second semester starts and I then uh, I jump from taking intro to psych and um, sociology to deviant sociology and abnormal psychology. Mm. And one of the first things I remember being told when they entered the classroom was, all right. So just so everyone knows the DSM four or DSM. Yeah, no, it was the DSM four at this time because I think we're on the DSM five. Yeah. Is heavily criticized, heavily scrutinized and has been heavily known for misdiagnoses. And for creating a lot of issues. But we are going to learn this class as if it is the way we are doing things. And as if this is how we go. And so me, coming from my background and Mm. just going through all these different diagnoses and all these other things. And this is how I realized uh, PTSD is definitely in my repertoire of things I deal with. Yeah. Um, I was just sitting there like taking that and then immediately going to deviant sociology and being told, all right, so this is how we view people in society. And this, this is the classification of everyone we view as deviants or lesser than mm-hmm. are um, counterproductive to society. And I'm just going through like, so everyone. So, so <laughs> no, that's basically one. So like, so everyone that I know that deals with anything that wasn't put in a great situation off the hop and has a trial or tribulation that makes them view. That's wow. I really don't think I like my career choice right now. Yeah, man. So that's and, crazy. Yeah. And so that's just when I went, fuck this, I'm out. Like the idea of being a teacher was really cool. I like the idea of trying to help students the way other teachers had helped me going through shit, but mm-hmm. all of that plus that plus finding out how many teachers actually knew and taught with my father back in the day, Whoa. like like my main EDTS, which was your like intro to educational studies, the person who kind of trains you on methodologies of how to be a teacher. Yeah. Roll call first day gets to me. Nathaniel. Bonnet. I need to talk to you after class. Whoa. Just taking looks at me and instantaneously what? recognizing like probably how much I look like my father times. I look a lot more like my mother, but there are facial structures and yeah, mannerisms yeah. I hold close to him. And just the fact that she had to look at my name, couldn't even say the last one, did like the. Yeah, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, joy. Cool. cool. What I, what cool. I do now. <laughs> cool. Oh, so I get to learn more about how my dad got kicked out of Hat High and why. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That Dude. Usually he's not, a, I will, and I will stand by this. I don't care if anyone tries to call me out on it. My dad is a despicable human being and Fuck. that is where that'll stay. But yeah, yeah, that's just, that really made me just be like, I don't think I'm going to go this way anymore. I yeah, um, man. If we're um, classifying people this way and then acknowledging that we're misclassifying people's mental disorders with some... Yeah, I think I am out. You, y'all like need a, to evolve your shit. That's right. You said it best, man. Um, but with that, let's get into our first band of yeah, man. the day. What are we checking out? We are going to be checking out a band called The Reticent. The song is called Stage 2, um, The Captive. A little bit of background on the band for us here. Um, uh, so they had recorded 
Uh, I've been trying to record this band multiple times and it had been delayed due to severe injury for um, Chris, their guitarist's right arm. Uh, deltoid. Uh, something wrong with his deltoid. And he performs all the instruments. So he had, he had to fill people in to um, help him. As doctors told him, he may not be able to continue to play. Oh, man. Like if he like, contributed to push himself, he might deal with a lot of long-term issues. Yeah. So the... The 54-person wind ensemble that performs on the album was entirely comprised of students from Chris of Chris Hathcook. Wow. So long story short, this Holy dude shit. wrote everything, got a bunch of people to help him get it all together. And um, he did a lot of recording as well because um, mm-hmm. he busted his butt, allowed him, did a lot of rest to recoup, um, put himself on a bunch of, I can't even pronounce the drug, Shit. <laughs> but it's like a labrufin. Pardon me. But uh, this dude, um, definition of someone who had a vision, wanted to do it, and got her done. The release date for this is September 25th. The album title is The Opulate. Uh, it's uh, off the Heaven and Hell Records uh, record label. And the title of the artist is The Reticent. We are going to check out stage two, The Captive. And yeah, um, that backstory just kind of leaves me very intrigued. So let's see what we get. Henry, it's time to get back in your room. Let's go. Let's go.
I've been here for the last two or three days. Right. What do you want to do at home? <laughs> Be with my family. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be the first song on the album? That is the second song on the album. That is The Reticent Stage 2, The Captive, available September 25th on all streaming platforms. Yeah, go get that because I really... Fuck. Um, yeah. That was cool. Damn, that was cool. Um, Chris, good job. That's all I can say. It's a good job. Um, so we were talking... Uh, when we were talking about uh, like your... Um, uh, what's the word? Like growth as a musician. We had gotten to... Uh, you taken that year to go and play with the ministries across everything. Um, yeah. And then uh, what made you finally decide to stop doing that? Well, one year of that turned into, turned into two with the same ministry. Um, and then after those two years, they actually like put a cap on how many consecutive years you can do in a row. Okay. Just because they want to, like they want to keep bringing in like, like keep new missionaries kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's also not a practical way to like live for long term because you're not really making much money. You're fundraising to basically do what you do, which for me was I was traveling and like leading a worship band, and it was like it was cool. Like like from like a musical professional standpoint, you know, we did retreats as small as like 50 people to like youth rallies as large as like you know hundreds and hundreds. And then from my experience within those. Um, like those years of ministry, it led into two more, two more years of ministry, like doing the same kind of thing. Um, but then that took me to Saskatoon with a different group, actually with two different groups in those two years. And uh, during those years, like when I wasn't doing like the full-time ministry in Saskatoon and traveling around Western Canada, I got to know some like super, super good worship musicians from all across the country. And like one of my highlights was probably going out to Toronto for this big conference called Steubenville. Ooh, um, okay. People are like, what's stupid? Hey, what what's Steubenville? What do stupid people know? Steubenville raced off of, or based off of like a uh, Steubenville, which I think is down in Ohio. It's a big Catholic Franciscan university. But anyways, um, they do a big youth conference in Toronto. And like, I was playing bass on a stage in front of like thousands of people. No oh, shit. And like, you know, the sound that comes from like a crowd of thousands cheering like that <sighs> after a song, it's like, it's fucking crazy. It's that's like a cool. drug. Oh, like, I, I bet that's gotta be a damn rush. Yeah, man. It was, it was incredible um, to say the least, but anyways, like, you know, those, those years of back-to-back -back ministry were cool and stuff, but then I kind of, I just got burnt out. Like it was just too much, too much uh, output, not enough input. Hmm. Um, and by like the fourth year, towards the end of the fourth year, like in my mind, I was kind of having this conversation that I haven't hadn't really, you know, 
like thought much about since getting into the whole faith thing was like, is this like, is it still enjoyable and why am I doing this? And, um, yeah, like the kind of inner monologue became a bit of like a, just a question of like, like what's life like outside of this, you know, cause you've been so in it for so long, mm. which was only like, I guess only four or five years, but still. So um, it is a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of found myself asking like, yeah, like what's next or what's, you know, what's, is this going to be like your future? Is this going to be like, do you want to spend a, like a lifetime, like working in full-time volunteer ministry? My answer is no. It's like deeper than that. You know, I want to be a dad and, you know, be a husband at some point and didn't really care where I would live. But you know, that was something that I, I knew was like, I guess like one of like the deepest like desires, I guess. And so thinking about that and then kind of deciding that I wanted to come out of like the full-time ministry, I decided to look for work in Saskatoon to be able to hopefully support a family at some point, nothing was coming up. And then my folks uh, from back here in the hat said, Hey, like if you want, you can come back and work for, for the family business for leisure way. Um, and I thought about it for a couple of weeks and kept pounding the pavement and came up with nothing. So moved back to the hat in 2017 and then that's when everything changed. Oh. Um, for, for, for the better, in my opinion. So I came back to the hat and started to get plugged into my old community of, you know, friends and family and, and, you know, kept going to church and all that stuff. And it was good. But like, really what happened was the practice of like going to mass, you know, on the regular of praying all the time of like, you know, doing all of the, the logistics of like what it means to be like a, a fully alive practicing young adult Catholic who's plugged into the world and who's like in the world, but not of the world, you know, and trying to like, you know, like live like the modern style, you know, Catholic living, I guess it just all became very empty for me. And so I thought to myself, like, what if I just stopped practicing? But, but, relating to what you said before, like, what if I just kept up the act, yeah. but like, but totally just kind of, you know, shut down and became like, you know, be, became my authentic self on the inside yeah. with like questions and objections and kind of just feeling like the saltiness has lost its salt, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I did that for a few months and I was like, oh man, this is like, like I'm enjoying this more because I'm not doing all this shit out of just habit or whatever. And, and then because I'd been involved in ministry for so long, um, I'd also developed quite a following of people like online and stuff. And I would post things and I would share stuff and yeah, people got like plugged into what I was about, but I realized like I, w- I didn't want to keep posting that stuff. I, I was, I was changing. I was, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd moved back to the hat and kind of entered a proverbial spiritual cocoon, I guess. And um, decided like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back into this, you know, this, this place that I was in before high school or sorry, like, you know, during high school, which was like, yeah, I don't want to practice anymore. But if I stop practicing and start posting content, that's like, you know, more authentically in line with where I'm at, you know, it's going to rub my Catholic friends the wrong way. So, <laughs> yeah. I, so I thought it would be kind and considerate to do a public post and say, Hey y'all, just so you know, like I'm actually not practicing anymore, but I, you know, I, I ended like the whole statement with like saying, I don't, you know, I don't want anyone to think that this is me putting like, you know, a big stamp on Catholicism and trying to be anti whatever, but like pursue your faith, believe what you want to believe, learn as much as you can about the world around you and like dive deep into whatever it is that brings you like fulfillment, Yeah, you know, pursue what you want to pursue. All all I care about is if you're trying to become a good person Mm -hmm. and that's it. And 
99% of the people responded with like, yeah, we're sad to see you go, but like, we're still going to be your friend. Like, we're not going to like, you know, shut you out. But then there was the 1% that said some horrendous oh, shit. Man. They were like, you need to take this post down because you're scandalizing thousands of views and you're, you know, leading souls to hell and away from Jesus and you're going to burn and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy fucking shit. That's what the hell? Like, that's gross, man. Like, like to, to, to see someone that you even like, like I looked up to this person as far as like being an example of faith mm-hmm. to then turn and like, almost like, you know, just like, and I could be wrong, but that mentality completely goes against the entire idea of the sacrifice of Christ because how I was taught it as a child. And I get, it's not the Catholic view. It's more the Christian view, but the idea is cool. like the cross was basically the bridge between the gates of purgatory and the gates of heaven. And the bridge had been severed and you could only get across if you were truly like, mm. of faith in the eyes of God. And what the mm-hmm. sacrifice of Christ did was basically create a bridge for you to get across yeah. in the end, even if maybe you wouldn't have without it. Yeah. And the idea of like those that, okay, so even if I'm wrong as mm-hmm. an atheist and Christianity or Catholicism, whichever branch of mm-hmm. that viewpoint is correct, according to teachings... I'm still good as long as I just live a good life. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dick. Don't be an asshole. And mm-hmm. actually, even then, unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, depending depending on how you view actions and um, yeah. consequences, even those guys that you think are assholes are still going to get through the pearly gates. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus' entire mantra was forgiveness for his children. Tend the, tend the herd, yeah. basically. So yeah. like that is that when that one percent comes out, it's just like, guys, I don't know what's more blasphemous if we if we're gonna like look at this like is someone just respectfully leaving the faith more blasphemous or is someone outwardly acting like one of the Jesuits back in the day uh-huh. being yeah. more like let's see here <laughs> you know I I I I thought about it like the day of when I read that comment of course um and you know. Out of like literally like the hundreds of of like good comments that came out of it, it was like like the one or two fucking gross ones that ruined it for me. But I thought about it more and I was like, I'm pretty sure that these people who are saying these just fucking gross things are probably pretty like freaked out and hurt by my choice. Mm-hmm. But so like I it doesn't like it, you know, being an ass like there's no justification for being like just a total fucking asshole, you know. No. Um but at the same time, like I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to carry that, that like anger around with me. Um, and I wasn't going to like let that kind of feed off of me. So I was like, yeah, they're, they're probably hurt. They're probably pissed off. And Hey man, if they don't appreciate what I'm doing, then they can just not follow me and yeah. I don't have to follow them. And, and the joy of social media is yeah, there's man. the unfollow button. If you're just mad and you want to take a break it's True. or there's the unfriend button. If you're just done. Yeah, man. If it gets to that point, dude, just, uh, just, just, just back off and just chill. Yeah. Uh, and since, since then, you know, now we're at more than halfway through 2020. Um, yeah, I've had a chance to reconnect with like a good number of like my solid friends from Saskatoon who are all still into the faith, but like they understand, they understand where I'm at because they take time to listen to me. Let me explain. And then like, they're like, Hey man, like if you end up coming back, like that'd be sweet. But if you, if you end up not or whatever that like, you choose to do, you just, just know like that, you know, we're, we're, we can still be friends, even though there's different fucking, you know, thoughts on life and death and yeah. action and thought and all this different stuff. That's, so That's why I'll never trash my uncle who's a pastor, because 
so what? Like, screw it. He's also the type of dude that as we've grown, like, I will admit that when I was younger, mm. we butted heads a lot. But that again, I was very much that type of person back in the day where I was a I butting heads was how I got my jollies. Like, yeah, everything fucking sucks. You know what? Feel something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. But uh, just as time's gone on, and like uh, actually, it, it dives into two things because I feel really bad. Um, the first time I acknowledged to my grandparents that I was an atheist mm. was at Christmas Eve, uh, not mass, but like the gathering, mm-hmm. and it was the first time like I, me and the ex had first started uh, getting together. We were dating, and she had been like very open about her agnosticism, and it just allowed me to feel a lot more empowered, empowered, and be like, you cool. know what, I can just say it. I am an atheist yeah. and I don't look down on anyone who like goes for their religions. I'll look down on those that try to use that as justification for horrid action. Yeah. But if you're using it just as a way to help your moral compass, then fuck it. We all need something. Mm-hmm. We all need something to help us. And I'm, you guys got that. The community is good to have. Like, I will admit that the main aspect, like you said, of the communities in these religions are yeah. generally full of really good people to have mm-hmm. when you need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Um, in the midst of all that, that's, that's really good. I think it's important to keep the peace. Um, but what's been interesting um, is that now that I'm outside of the, I would say like outside of like the Catholic club mm-hmm. and I get to look at things through a very like objective lens. Mm-hmm. Um, even like recently, dude, there's been some fucked up shit happening like around the world. Like that's directly related to like the church Catholic. Mm. Like one that I just cannot get past is that recently, and I, I can't put a proper timestamp on it because I, I heard about this through a podcast that I'm very, very, um, one? Oh, of course, the Joe Rogan experience. Oh, okay, okay, the yeah. fucking one and only. No, um, <laughs> JRE. No. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but like Joe was talking to someone. He was talking to a comedian friend of his from Los Angeles. Was this a few days ago? This was like, no, this was a little longer. This was like maybe like a month or two okay, ago. Yeah, because there was one I was just starting that had a comedian as the guest. So I was wondering if that was oh, going to be the one I was listening to. Yeah, or not. no, there, there's there's so many for sure. But you can uh, you can toke up while I drop this fucking Do mega bomb on you. So um, I think it was like two or three months ago now. But in the archdiocese of Los Angeles, th- I, I forget the name of the cardinal or the archbishop who's there. But like, I think it's like something, something Gomez, whatever. Anyways. Just just in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, they paid out $600 million in settlements for specific sex abuse scandals that have been happening just within the diocese. Just within, like, the area of Los Angeles. $600 fucking million. See, because kids were getting diddled. You know, and now, now I have to go back to the thing where I was praising the current Pope and being like, look at how fucking modern he is. I'm going to also say this. A lot of that won't mean shit if before he's done, they don't take care of this. Because this has been going on for too fucking long, and you have to make actions at the top down. Fuck, you can't man. be like, like the, if it means end the Vatican and the precipice of like popes and bishops, maybe that's what needs to happen. Because that's very archaic. Like very archaic. The popes were around since when? Now there, well, there, there's been a pope like in in like the leadership position since like well, since even before like Jesus died. So yeah. it's like it took it took about three hundred years for like the Church Catholic to actually become like a like a form a formidable and like actual um, like 
institution. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh, just ashing all over your stuff. It's all good. Um, if it starts a fire, I'll put it out. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Like there's there, there's always been like this church hierarchy and stuff, and you know. There is a there is like scriptural like evidence to support like why that choice was made and that like if you believe Jesus who is who he says he says who he is then like then it makes sense like you're yeah. basically hearing from God incarnate that hey like I want you guys to set up this this like this church and all done so like a physical not. oh yeah and then it becomes a whole bunch of hubbub yeah um, and I don't really care what the answer to that is you know no. like it's something to be to be you know. Um, thought about and I think picked it's good apart. to understand when it comes to understanding why these structures exist. Yeah. One cannot be holy one or yeah. holy the other. It's got to be a combination of the two. And by that, I don't mean that someone like godly being told them, yeah. but that some people fundamentally believed mm. that it was their, like their mission because all too often you hear people say how they felt it was their mission from God to do this thing. Mm. Like it was just, everything seemed to point in that direction. Even when things were bleak and crap, mm. it was that motivation that led to X, Y, or Z. Yeah. It's like, okay, so there can be people that driven off that motivation. will create something. Mm. But now let's look at all the other individuals. I just look at it as a way for a power grab and a yeah. way to keep people under the thumb yeah. and look at how, resourceful they are yeah. at using the other individual mm -hmm. as a way to get what mm -hmm. they want. Yeah. It's, uh, it's thought provoking to say the least, but like my first thought when I heard that was like $600 million. Like this is during COVID. Right. How does, how, 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 how do you just, Oh, Oh, we can just you know money. Kaboom. Blam. Right there. It's like, dude, like, Economies are crashing. Oh, How much fucking money does the Catholic Church have? Oh, wait, probably a shit ton because, like, you know what? We have that thing where it's like, hey, if you're a religious institution, you don't Tax have breaks. to pay taxes. The fuck? The Dude, fuck is should, that about? Th I think that's the first thing that needs to be changed is I think every religious institution totally. should be taxed. 100 fucking percent. Like... And I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, some people say, like, yeah, tax the religious institutions and fucking, you know, take all the gold from the Vatican and like, you know, melt, melt it down. Even no, though I got issues with like, you know, the institution, I don't think like, you know, historical, you know, artifacts like, like that should be destroyed. No. But like, but like, there should be some fucking like, like equal plan. Cause like, like if you're a company, okay. Yeah. Like. Even like, you know, let's say like, let's, let's pick like the top player right now. Actually, which I'll, I'll tell you something here because this will relate to you yeah. because of this. WWE in the midst of COVID in over the past six months mm -hmm. has fired roughly 60% of their staff. Mm -hmm. They are reaching record profits right now within the company. Whoa. Even is that was that after or during during, during the firing during the firing during <sighs> COVID during this entire time where they haven't been allowed to have fans they've had to yeah. have everyone at one or two locations what the record profits what the hell that's the first thing that was coming to mind you're like how do they have this money and I'm just like there's got to be something these people are taking advantage of during this time on top of like laying a bunch of people off and probably not having yeah. to pay for certain things on the side because you don't have live events you mm. don't have to pay for all that extra shit. Record profits. Yeah, like, man. What else are you taking advantage of at this point in time to be mm. able to achieve such a thing? Especially after in Vince McMahon's case, you literally just had the XFL go bankrupt because COVID hit right when your first season started. Yeah, that so was it's unfortunate. Like, how are how are you bankrupt in one thing yet? 
it blows your mind when you think about that shit with how much money people have been made making off this Mm -hmm. Bezos exactly as well like you were saying based off Amazon profits yeah yeah I think um, I think like yeah like when all this is taken into consideration like I just think that uh, yeah they're like they're like crazy super wealthy superpowers of people and companies and institutions who um They've been they've been playing a very intentional game for a while, and like, you know, my feelings towards even okay, this might get me whatever in in back and forth contradictory videos for like you know where Trump says something and like you know contradicts yeah. himself, but like okay, so I think the amount of money that Jeff Bezos has is fucking ridiculous and insane, and like, and I know for a fact like you know there's allegations and stories coming out where it's like he's not treating his employees well, like he's he's. He, He's made all that money for not the best of reasons. He's a for pure sure. capitalist. Yeah, but at the same time, like I support the idea of being able to have a business, you know, business idea to have the freedom to go out and, like Miss Frizzle says, you know, take chances, make mistakes, and get messy, yeah. and like and have the freedom to succeed or to fail. But I think there needs to be a more like more of like a marrying. I guess of like the capitalistic and like more socialist styles of economy. There's a way that like they can we live work. in that right now. The the idea that. Anyone is lesser than another in the yeah. ideas of basic human needs. Like uh, the idea here in Canada of uh, possible uh, universal basic income. Mm-hmm. The thought that that is going to deter people from working. Bitch, I, I've been able to claim CERB and I've worked as much as I've been feasibly possible. Right. Like and bankrolled on maybe having to pay a little bit back on the few months where I might have made just over my capita that I'm allowed to. If people genuinely want to do shit. They will do it. Mm. What people will, will also do is under deliver and not give a fuck when they don't feel like they are valued or appreciated mm. at jobs that barely yeah. allow them to live a life. Yeah, man. So if you provide everyone with the way to pay their rent, buy food, well, now they're not worried about that with their bills. Now they can go to work and actually be happy with the time to spend there because while they're there, if they don't like the job thing, like, well, I mean, deal with this for a bit, save up, maybe, yeah. maybe do this, maybe go there, relocate here, look for better opportunities because mm-hmm. that's the thing a lot of people don't have the benefit of right now is to, not everyone has the benefit to just up, leave somewhere and try to do better somewhere else no. without being set back almost to a point where they don't have a chance in hell yeah. of even being where they were before leaving. Yeah. And like, that's, 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 that's super true. I think this, uh, I think this whole COVID situation and even like, you know, the events that I want to talk about with you as well too, because we, we kind of, we briefly talked on the phone about this for a little bit and it's like, you know, it ties into how COVID is affecting like, you know, our whole planet and, and, and specifically, you know, how's it affecting medicine hat and our quality of life, but also how is the, um, the, the civil unrest in regards to like, you know, discrimination and police brutality and all this stuff. Like, you know, how, how is this, how do we think this came to be? And like, um, and talking about it and we're going to have some, some differing opinions on it, which is, we're going to have fun. And I think right now, actually, I'm just gonna, this is perfect because not only am I going to talk about the next song here, but we're going to use this as a chance for anyone who's listening. Um, know that the next half of this podcast is going to go down a rabbit hole that we generally don't venture down, but for the sake of conversation and allowing uh, viewpoints to have what I view is going to be a civil, not just a civil conversation, but how conversations 
should be had mm. outside of how we generally seem to have them on Facebook with our counterparts. What a dumpster fire that is. Yeah, like <laughs> I feel like uh, generally like we've made points to stay away from political points outside of maybe putting the opinion here and there. It's very obvious that that's hard not to do. Yeah. But in this case, with everything that's been happening, I think it's very well worth um, having a actual discussion. And if those of you aren't interested in any of that, Enjoy this last song that I'm going to like introduce. And then, you know what? Feel free to just skip out. Like I will completely understand. Some people just don't want that. Mm. And that is your prerogative, but we going to do it. And if you don't mind me tagging on what you're saying, um, I think this long form conversation is helpful. And also disclaimer, like, I don't have credentials. I'm not some, you know, super well scholared human being. I would call myself, you know, an, an exceedingly adequate, you know, high functioning dummy. Um, <laughs> like I'm not super smart, but I've appreciated getting to talk with people like whether it's, you know, podcasts or on the phone or face to face about these conversations and these topics, I guess, because like person to person is the way to relate. Mm-hmm. And the hysteria has definitely taken over a lot of like, you know, like the worlds of social media. And all, all I want to do is just share my perspective of being, you know, someone that lives in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada, in this little forgotten corner and talk about, you know, kind of where we're at. So if you're interested, if it sounds like something you could, you know, enjoy, um, stick around as long as you can handle it, you know? Hell yeah. And with that, we're going to get into a band called Lost in Static. They're from Calgary, Alberta. Cool. This is their single Train Wet, Train Wreck. It came out on uh, August 28th. It is available on all streaming platforms. This is for fans of Volumes, After the Burial, Veil of Maya, Orville Cyrus, and Periphery. Uh, a little bit about them. They're fresh from Calgary. Um, they started a cover band called Moon Mountain many years ago, and it's now blossomed into this uh, original metal act that started playing shows uh, early last year. Nice. It's comprised of seasoned musicians Lance McBain, Noreen Amin, Jared Boyd, and Tyler jo- uh, Johansson. There we are. And they started the musical journey fusing the gent elements of progressive metal with metalcore. And they work together to create music that is both aggressive and fun, with McBain generally writing the music and uh, McBain, Johnson, and Boyd collectively writing the lyrics relating to their band name. The messages they send through the lyrics convey relation to the feeling of getting lost in the quote-unquote static of the world and all the events that take place and almost overwhelming feeling of white noise. Wow. Did I ever pick a good song as a transition into what we're going to talk about after all of this? <laughs> yeah. Man. With an emphasis of producing a tight live show full of headbanging energy and moshing lost and static is hitting the ground running with their debut album being released soon. And they've shared the stage with Distinguisher, No Home, Diamonds on Neptune, who are a really good band. Snake Pit, also a great band. Tama Hills just dropped a new single. Go check them out right now. Like after this podcast, like not right now, maybe go cue them, but not right. Like you guys know, um, <laughs> gratis platypus, dead ringer, pride lands, young bloods, another great band we've had on here before iron tusk after the prophet father moon, Deathbringer, and the luminary plot. Wow. Wow. There's some, there's some pretty cool acts on there. Mm. Maybe, maybe you should all take note of that, but also take note that we are about to listen to train wreck by lost in the Static.
That was Lost in Static. The song is Trainwreck. And all I have to say is, um, guys, when we are allowed to play live again, get in touch with me. Because goddamn, uh, do I think you guys and uh, my band would do very well together. Holy fuck. That was some good shit. Um, we are honestly now just going to be stalling for like... 30 seconds or so as we wait for Sean to come back from the washroom. Maybe I'll edit here. Maybe I won't. We will see what happens. I always like to say like, uh, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a call and everyone's like, but your phone's not ringing. And I'm like, it's a, it's a call from nature. Yeah, you got to drop some kids off at the pool. <laughs> Speaking of political correctness. No, oh, uh, <laughs> but um, yes. That Start was us a, off. <laughs> sorry, yeah, but, and I, I guess I was kind of out there That's when right. you were finishing off your commentary on the song. But it's like, um, it kind of carries on from like the com- the conversation we had earlier, just about like like music and stuff. And I, I kind of, you know, I feel like we could do a whole separate podcast on like my like particular music journey because I've had a chance to traverse like so many like different genres. Oh dude, you were the thrash guy. Like, um, I don't know if you know this. Um, you and miles were the first dudes I ever jammed with period. Really? That was the the very first time I ever hauled my shit out of my basement. No fucking way. Wow. Yeah. What an honor, man. Yeah. So that, that's something that I was like back and being like, you know, miles and I never really clicked a whole lot after that, Mm -hmm. but goddamn, that was a fun night. Like, Mm -hmm. You guys are just like, I still was straight edge as fuck at that point, but I'm just eating McDonald's. You guys are stoned as fuck. Final Fantasy VII. And I'm like, there's, there's a drunk kid over here. And I just jumped behind there. And you said this. Oh I remember this particularly God. after we did a jam. And it was the first time I'd been on a real kid for fucking ever. Yeah. And you're like, dude, it kind of sounded like Sabbath. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I was like, I can kind of hold a beat. What? Yeah, That's man. cool. Thanks, man. I yeah, think man. I think I might stick with this one. <laughs> if you're talking jamming with me and Miles back in the stone as fuck McDonald's fucking uh, Final Fantasy seven days, yeah, that was like, oh, Sabbath was like my my my, my religion. So oh, man, to hear to hear you jam and play, and be like, oh man, like yeah, you're like you're hitting accents and like you're grooving the same way that Bill Ward, you know, did on so many of those fucking <laughs> records, man. Dude, par- <coughs> paranoid <coughs> entire record. Oh, dude. <laughs> Holy Sabbath record I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. But man, um, thank you, Dan, for making that one of the songs we had to learn. Mm. Because like A, finding out that that was just the track that they threw together to fill space. And being yeah. Like, That's fun. Then being like, oh, Iron Man's on this album? Yeah. That's cool. And then you're like. And then you get to Fairies Wear Boots and you're like, say, oh my God, Fairies Wear Boots. boots. Yeah, Favorite man. track. Like yeah. War Pigs is a nice intro. Yeah. I can't listen to it as much now because. Eight-minute songs are really hard for me to do unless they just they find a way to not make it feel like eight minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, again, it's 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 an iconic like classic Sabbath tune, right? So you're yeah. gonna, you're going to hear a lot of it all over the place, right? Oh yeah. But his lead work on that song though, like that's what makes you like oh, yeah. really grips you on that. But fairies wear boots. Like that was <laughs> always the one that made me go. Mm, yeah. Mm, everyone has to listen to this record at least twenty times. It's heavy shit, man. It is. It's heavy shit. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Full circle. 
Hell for, yeah. first jam session, man. It's actually been it's it's been really uh, really enjoyable because over the past like couple of years, I've I've reconnected pretty heavy with Miles. Well, that's good. How's he been doing? Really well. Yeah, he's working as an arborist. Like he's cutting down trees and shit. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's really really good at that. He actually even came out and helped me um, well, at leisure way. As a tree, it makes it easy Fuck. to take down other trees. Dude, man. Oh yeah, Miles. He's a uh, he's still a big boy. Um, <laughs> I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, yeah, he's doing that full time and. Um, he's got a kid really yeah little wow, El- little ellis and uh he's uh he's seeing someone and yeah it's uh it's it's really cool man like he he's 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 always been very true to himself he's never changed for anyone and it's been really cool to see just like the journey that he's taken and that it's you know it brought him i don't know to calgary for a little bit and then he came back to the hat and now he's settled in and like me and him and our other good buddy Trevor, actually, like we've all been friends since fucking you know middle school, and mm-hmm. then you know there was like the high school years where I was like, no, I can't be friends with Miles, man. He's too crazy, and I'm and I'm too high all the time. And Miles wasn't, wasn't smoking much weed back then, so it was it's funny. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like he's like, hey man, you want it? I'm like, oh, I can't hit as much as you. He's like, <laughs> my tolerance has gone fucking totally downhill just because. Um, well, for those four or five years of ministry, yeah. obviously, you know, I wasn't gonna smoke the jazz cabbage, no, the devil's lettuce. Um, but now I'm getting back into it slowly but surely. Um, it's still lettuce, man. He'll get you every time. Oh, dude, it's perfect. It for me, cannabis has become the antidote. To me, getting stuck inside of my own bullshit. Yes. 100%. 100%. It takes me on an introspective journey virtually every time because I smoke so non-frequently okay. that like, depending on what it is, like it could be fucking two, three hits of a joint that could just like send me off to the stratosphere. That's what happened yesterday. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, I was talking with my friend, uh, my friend Cass and uh, she's like, you know, we smoked weed before. And she offered me this joint and, uh, yeah, it was good. And I took, you know, I think it was only, only like three hits, but then I was fucked for like five hours. Damn. <laughs> like I was high as shit. And like, she had to go, she had to leave like, you know, shortly after we, we kind of smoked and stuff. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of glad that she did because when she was leaving, I was like up and up and up and up and up. And like the crescendo just kept going and kept going. And I was like. I went and sat in my room and like had some snacks and was just trying to chill out. And then I was like, I can't, I, like, I, I was getting so high that I couldn't sit with him, like my own thoughts. <laughs> and then I was like, I got to distract myself. So I went on Netflix and I put on Venom. Oh, that was, shit. that was a good and bad idea. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. For me, it's weird. Cause like, as you've probably noticed, I smoke quite a bit and mm. it's weird how it works for me, especially if it's the right strain. Cause if I can put it in terms like, you're playing an RPG and we're having the conversation mm. and they're all the responses are loading, except instead of having four options, yeah. there's like 50 that are just right? across the board. And yeah. it's like, it can be any of those. And sometimes like, especially if I'm not stoned, like I'll just randomly interject random things like being like, Oh yeah, that it still happen when I'm stoned, but that's more so when I'm like excitable and hmm. gaming and just fooling around, fucking around, not giving a shit. But yeah. if I'm focused in like, in the case of this conversation, like, it like narrows it down to like four, two to four options. Cool. And the what main one is highlighted. Like, mm. and, and there's no longer a timer. That's the other one too. It doesn't feel like I need to like rebut quickly just for the sake of being able to move forward. It's like, no, I can, I can sit on, I can sit on this one for a bit. I can mm-hmm. just start in the back, keep it highlighted. And if it changes due to new information interjecting, then so be it. Like, yeah. it's not like 
everything going a million miles a minute. Totally. It's huge, man. I think it's, I think it's why well, actually I know it's literally changing the way that humans human, um, to make that a verb because, you know, for the longest time there's been, you know, a very negative, um, a negative stereotype created around people who use cannabis and other, other forms of mild and even more heavy duty, like, you know, psychotropics and that sort of thing. Mushrooms um, yeah, dude. or anything like that. Psilocybin, what's up? You know, like, you know, if you want to go all the way, you know, to the crazy shit, like, you know, DMT and ayahuasca and all that oh, kind of man. stuff. Um, I'm a huge advocate for, um, you know, use of cannabis and, and meditation and like float tanks and, you know, even like other stuff like, you know, sometimes spending time like in a in a sauna will put me in a different state. I know you listen to JRE. Now. Yeah, right. I, that, that was my fucking my JRE plug. You know, there. I got a float tank in the back. You haven't been in one. Yeah, yeah. No, I just go check it out. Have you ever tried DMT? Yeah, that's like once, and it was one hell of a time, dude. All the Joe Roganisms. Um, there's there's a lot of them. Um, but anyways, have you tried Alpha Brain? No, I'll stop, I'll stop plugging all Joe's shit. But no, like the cash app. I can't. <laughs> I can't, uh, I definitely can't steer away from that. Well, I guess like, I could say like that, that tone of, of talking and like kind of seeing the world because I do listen to Joe Rogan on a very regular basis. And that's really because, you know, he's probably the most relatable person that I've ever come across. And, in and the he podcast brings on world. really good guests, even if it's someone I don't agree with totally, or someone who's a complete buffoon, like they'll get exposed if they are. Mm-hmm. And like, the Shapiro episode, because now we're going to start segueing because bringing up let's Shapiro it, allows things to go into yeah, this. Let's do it. But um, like someone who thought that was going to be his prime way to get to his audience because he's like, oh, Joe Rogan, like I'll get on there. He'll agree with like, he's an easy talk. Mm-hmm. He won't, he won't give me much of a challenge. And then Rogan just shuts him the fuck down yeah. on a regular. And you can see he's like, shit, that dumb. Fuck. Yeah, but what about... Yeah, but you got to think, like, what about all these people? Like, can you not understand how X, Y, and you're just like, mm-hmm. wow, Ben, Ben, I can hear him sweating through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like on the idea of cannabis yeah. with Christians, like, I'm a heavy proprietor. Like, I, the idea that we have advanced the way we are from our prehistoric states mm-hmm. is not only related to, like, fire and cooking, like, it's button brought up a few times on former podcasts, but the idea yeah. of the mushroom. Like that's a big one. And like just the idea of like how that would work if happened enough times throughout a like an evolutionary phase. Have like you it, heard about stoned ape theory? No, that a, the one with the weed or the one with the mushroom? The the well the stoned ape theory that I hear Joe talk about all the time simply pertains to a time in like the evolutionary um journey where um like more like more advanced primates becoming, you know, or 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 growing towards like, you know, what we would call prehistoric homo sapien and yeah. stuff like that yeah they they think that a large jump in the change of like the brain size but also like the level of intelligence is due to a, a high and prolonged level of exposure to just like ingesting these um psychotropic mushrooms that that and figuring out how to cook meat mm-hmm. were two big ones and then now to fast forward to like this is one I love to throw at uh, Christians who are so anti-cannabis because mm-hmm. I'm sorry if y'all didn't realize that back in the day they used cannabis oil for anointment and that when they saw the fucking Trinity, it was because they were high as fuck from anointing themselves with cannabis oil. Y'all didn't get the message. Or like the the, the fact that like, you know, when people talk about the story of like Moses and the burning bush, yeah. um, w- through like a lot of good 
like just historical research based on like the geography of the area and what like what was there at the time chances are what actually happened was that was probably some kind of a, an acacia bush mm-hmm. and acacia is fucking steeped in like endogenous dmt oh man so so like you're standing in front of a dmt bush while it's burning and you're breathing in the smoke you're, you're gonna definitely you're definitely gonna talk to god yeah like, you're definitely gonna meet the aliens and that's, or all, these, fucking and that's all these spiritual things are like at their core uh what i believe um people to believe is god is also known as the inner monologue yeah but it's uh so much deeper than that because and this is the one thing i heavily took away from psychology i can't it's uh, the ego the super ego and the id and that all that's happening when you hit these huge psychological breakthroughs is you're breaking that ego down so mm. fundamentally that you're finally allowing yourself to talk to yourself and actually connect with everything around you. Because as we know from physics and any form of science, matter and energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Now, in an ecosystem such as Earth, where we are living on a planet that literally fucking breathes, if you break it down to a pure science of the ecosystem yeah. and how it works. Yeah, it's an organism. It's observed to feel like the reason like you feel uncomfortable walking through mass energy boxes like um, power stations when you're on a psychedelic trip is because... You can feel and hear what that thing is producing so clearly at that point because you're hypersensitive to it. Mm. And that's why the idea of like, go to ground. Mm. I don't know um, how many other people maybe listening to this have gone on a psychedelic trip, but generally that is the call to term. Are you having a bad time? Are you outside? Go to ground. Mm. Go center yourself and connect with what's around you. And that's Mm. not on a hippy dippy like, Super spiritual thing, but it's more on like the idea of like, even if you have a more logical mind on how science works, like the idea of like Mm -hmm. interconnectedness isn't absurd. Yeah. And being able to really start to feel that and understand that. And I feel once you have one or two um, breakthroughs like that, Mm -hmm. you're more prone to just naturally being able to be susceptible to it Mm -hmm. because you're no longer unsure of what that feeling is you're a lot more prone to allowing it to come out if yeah you're a lot more understanding of your own being I yeah guess. man that's cool well again like another shout out to my friend Cass who uh, always is a good hookup when it comes to jazz <laughs> cabbage um we were hanging out a couple weeks ago and uh yeah like we were we just drove out and found a field like a bunch of like really cool hay bales in it and it was like kind of like towards Cypress Hills area. Okay, yeah. Um, so super nice rolling hills and stuff. We just sat and we parked the truck and listened to tunes and ate, ate frozen mango chunks. And, uh, mm. and then, uh, yeah, man, like she's like, we should go stand in the field. And I was like, let's do it. She's like, but barefoot. And I was like, okay, cool. And yeah, man, like right away, I was like super surprised because I thought that, you know, you know, we're kind of getting towards the end of summer and beginning of fall. It's going to start cooling down. And like, I, yeah. like the, the day it was like cloudy and it was kind of chilly outside. Um, but like I took off my socks and shoes and I stood on the ground and it was warm. Like the earth was physically yeah. warm and I was like so thrown off by that. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience. And of course, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of weed always helps accentuate <laughs> that kind of stuff. But like, I'm a huge fan of it because like when I, when I smoke weed, I, I enter into like a new realm of like experiential thinking and learning Mm -hmm. and feeling and like all my senses, you know, are being augmented, but you know, I've gone past the stage of like, you know, getting like afraid 
to smoke weed because I'm afraid I'm going to get paranoid. It's like now I've, I, that was, I that was back in high school. Now it's like if I smoke and if I do start to have like a bad trip, I'll always like ask myself like, what's like, what's making it bad? Like what's bugging me? Yeah. Like what's going on. And then it always becomes like more of an introspective, you know, journey. And I have like countless good lessons that I've learned um, from like, you know, just, just smoking weed and stuff and writing down thoughts and lyrics or art, poems, thoughts, yeah, perspective, comedy, bit ideas. <laughs> um, but then once in a while, just getting fucking blazed and having like a good reset. Like, yeah. I was a huge fan of Salvia back in high school. Oh my God. And uh, hashtag, yeah, man. Fucking, hashtag fucking one bad Salvia trip because I didn't know. Fucking Bob's. Remember Bob's downtown? Oh my God, yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you this one little uh, Salvia trip I had. Do it, and then I'll tell you mine. Oh man, so it was my second house because I had moved into my own place. Moved back to my grandparents after that went south about nine months later because yeah. the wrong roommates shit goes south real quick. Yeah. Got my second place and um, it was on Belfast and we were in those one of the two little like war houses that are on like third or on Belfast Street. Oh, okay. And we became friends with the neighbors. So we'd chill there all the time. And yeah. Well, as I worked, they were deciding to smoke a bunch of salvia out of the peace pipe. Fuck. And then um, I come home from work. We're all good. They tell me we're good. A few days pass. Now we're put, passing this peace pipe around and I'm assuming, okay, if we've packed this with weed, we've, we've cleaned it off. You, you fucking clean this thing. Right? You, no, no, <laughs> oh, they, no. So I'm sitting on one couch. <laughs> There's a couch on that wall, a couch on this wall. TV's right there. I start leaning to the left. Oh, man. And then, you know, um, yep. those scenes in sci-fi where like hyperspace happens and you see everything animated and stretch out. I was like, all of that was starting to stretch into the television while other angles of it were folding onto itself <laughs> in darkness. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there sinking to the left like, what the fuck <laughs> is happening? And everyone's laughing. And then Cesar is just like, wait, what? Bro, bro, yo, calm down. Like five minutes later, it's like, who's the asshole? Yeah, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Yeah, I so like so your first experience of salvia was like completely unanticipated. Yeah, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, man. Me, me and my good buddy uh, Zach Jolliker, we fucking we did research about that shit for like a month, and then we're like, okay, well now we now we know what it does. Well, that was actually my second experience. The first okay. time um, didn't really do anything. All I did is I remember a f- Cesar and I bitched at his girlfriend about ha- her not liking Iron Maiden's artwork. Cause I had the metal hammer with the lost oh. in space artwork. And she's like, that looks like such shit. And we're just like, um, excuse me. Iron fucking made. Yeah. It's like, and there was just that 15 minutes of like us really liking the color. So it really didn't hit me that hard. Oh, okay. It was the second time by surprise where mm-hmm. it decided to just. Hi. Yeah. That's when that, that what you experienced right there. That's, that's when Salvia works. Yeah. And let me tell you, um, Again, I was saying before, like hashtag, you know, good old Bob's Bob's uh, head shop downtown. I remember mm. going in there. And I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was grade ten um, when me and Zach finally had the cojones to go in there. We're like, hey man, and he's like, what's up? What do you guys want? We're like, we're looking for some salvia, and like his whole face changed. It was like, oh okay. Oh, yeah. He's like, give me one sec. He went back into a back room and came back with this little plastic dime bag and. Um, it was like kind of like a, a dark, almost like a dark black and blue leafy looking substance. Yeah. And he's like, okay, so, so this is, this is, this is 10 X. 
Now this is like like this is like the weakest stuff that he can sell, right? He said, yeah. but there's an optimal way to smoke it. So like with like even with like pot, right? Like you know yeah. you could use a lighter, you could use a match, right? The use hotter the hotter the burn, the, the more it is exactly. So he's like, what you guys are gonna want to do is you're gonna want to get like a butane lighter, and you're gonna want to you know smoke this in a pipe, and you're gonna want to take a big big fat hit. And you're going to want to take in as much as you can and hold it for as long as you can. And as soon as, as soon as you start to kind of feel like, like, you know, that, that, um, vertigo sensation of like, you know, needing to exhale, let it all go. He's like, if you smoked it right, you'll fucking know. And he says, if you smoke this and your couch doesn't eat you, come back and we can try like something a little stronger. And, um, needless to say, the first time was fucking bananas <laughs> the couch and, oh dude man i didn't get eaten by the couch it was like for me actually my my, my very first salvia experience was, was like not a lot in like the the, the visual and physical world around me changed yeah. but all of my arm hairs became bioluminescent and um when like like when my left hand would touch my right arm and i'd lift my hand up the area underneath where my hand was, all of those hairs would turn like blue. And then when I would do the same on the opposite arm with the, with the opposite hand, it would turn red. So like I could like, you know, swipe up and swipe down my arms and like, it would all become like, you know, neon blue, neon red, neon red, neon blue. And like just back and forth. And I was just, I was just high as fuck. I just like just <sighs> rub my arms for like five minutes. And then, you know, me and Zach would take turns, right? Cause when I'm a yeah. babysitter, and there's fucking so many stories, but like we'll, we'll we'll go from the bottom to the top. Yeah. Um, a little interjection halfway through, we got to 50x, and we decided to smoke it at school. And I remember, I remember we were, we were out behind Antonio's Pizza, and uh, I was leaning up against a tree. And when I exhaled, I could feel I could feel my physical vertebrae all like popping out of my back and like sticking into the tree. Oh shit! And I was like, I spent like 10 minutes like talking to a tree. And like we had a very very visceral conversation, <laughs> um, and uh, no, that uh, you know what it's like to be a tree. Show. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, it was like this is like Avatar, Avatar man. When they're like, make the bond. I was um, here before all these buildings, and I tell you what, yeah. they're ugly as fuck. Yep, yep. <laughs> all my friends are dying. Um, sorry, Mister Tree. It sounds really depressing to be a tree, but uh, no. All the way to the end, we I think we got up to like eighty x, and holy fucking shit. Was that ever insane? Um, I took like one rip of that and I was like instantly transported to like the center of the universe. And I was like, I was, I was in space. I was floating, but I wasn't like a humanoid form. I was something more like, I was something more basic, more like celestial. And I could like, I could like feel like the, I could feel like like the physical vacuum of space, like pulling on me, but I I could also feel like energies from like different stars and planets and like comets and shit. Like it it was, it wasn't like crazy psychotropic. It was like, I was like, I was instantly teleported to like another very, very crazy environment, but still in reality. It was, it was, I could feel and see and hear everything hundred percent. The regular world was completely gone. Like completely. And I think those experiences with psychotropics are so important because for me, when I came back uh, from that one, I'd, I'd experienced this like celestial oneness with 
the area that I was in and with all like, you know, matter and space and time that like, I realized, man, like we're on this rock flying around this big nuclear reactor and like, and it seems like, you know, we're the shit, but it's like, there's so much more out there. Oh yeah. Like other than just us. And like, it kind of was basically like an ego check and it brought me a lot of peace. Like it was good. Like it was scary as fucking shit to, you know, go from regular sitting in Sean's bedroom to fucking, you know, when it all comes to an end, I am but a speck of dust on a speck of dust on a uh, speck of dust on a speck yeah. of dust. Yeah. <laughs> I like to we said we we're going to talk about political shit. No, I got into the trips. Because well, I think um, to a degree to add some context, I think these things might be what allow us to have the conversations we have because mm-hmm. we've allowed ourselves not to, like, better open our third eye, but to mm-hmm. like more so just like not experiment, feel, mm-hmm. and actually think about things past their base definitions of mm-hmm. how we go at things and trying to really understand what's around us. Yeah. Um, without just letting things go. Like the whole, like it is what it is because it is mm. no, it is what it is because why? Yeah. Why? There's yeah. a why here. Nothing just exists. Mm. We understand this. Mm. Why? Well, I think like, you know, if I, if I were to be living in the, like one thing that I've been trying to do, um, admits all of what's happening around us, especially like in regards to the COVID pandemic. And then, you know, with, you know, with civil unrest because of what we saw happen to George Floyd and what's been happening for a long time and still is. Before even happening. And after. Yeah. And currently and stuff, I think like, you know, if I were to have seen this stuff going on back when I was in high school, I, my mentality would have been like, I don't give a fuck. It's like not happening in my city. So like fucking whatever, mm-hmm. because you know, when I was, like back then when I was at young, like my exposure to the world around me was still quite small. And, you know, my, my, my mental energy went to a very small group of things, but I feel like now with like the interconnectedness that comes from technology, it's like a high schooler nowadays, you're thinking about shit. We never had to care about hundred percent. And my reaction to all that was like, like, like the COVID thing, whatever. Like, like it's, it it's, is, sorry, it is what it is. It, it is what it is because we're trying to keep people safe. And I know people like, you know, across different political spectrums are like, no, the masks are oppression and they're trying to take our freedom and, and Trudeau is going to take away my guns. It's nah, like, we're just saying, if you want to go out in public, be respectful and keep everyone safe. Yeah. You know, I'm all, I, again, I'm pro freedom, but like, yeah. don't be a fucking gross asshole. Yeah. Put a mask on your face. If you're going into Costco for fuck's sakes, yeah. like, you know, why? Just, because you might have it, and if you do yeah. spread that, what if someone there decided to work mm. because they don't just want to sit at home, but they have yeah. underlying health issues? Yeah. Or I I hate this premise that, oh, it's only the old at risk. The young don't have anything to worry about. Every single fucking professional athlete who has come down with COVID and mm. recovered now has a underlying, like a new underlying heart issue. Mm. Yeah. So don't tell me that just because they're young and got through it, that they're going to do better. Those are the prime definitions of health Yeah, for like human beings in that age group. And even they are walking away with something that may shorten their lifespan Yeah, or cause complications for them down the line that we do not know how to deal with yet because we have not dealt Mm -hmm. with the consequences of a post COVID world yet. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen to people that recover because we're not focusing on that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what, what's the day today? Is today September? Today is the 13th. Yeah. So um, kind of tying into like thinking about the state of the world in regards to how we're interacting with this new 
you know, pandemic mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out a better way to, um, to move forward in regards to like, you know, social justice for, you know, police brutality, that sort of thing. Um, it kind of hit me two days ago on the anniversary of like nine 11, where I was like, remember what people were like before, before, but also remember what people were like after. And I'm talking like right after, right. Those first few years, right before the actual troop deployment. And then the immediate year after, because mm-hmm. I think that's when we started seeing the start of a conflict of two different mental shifts. Mm-hmm. Remember how good people though were to each other mm-hmm. as we're trying to like, you know, recover from this, you know, international and national tragedy, but also like realize, you know, that life is short and life is fragile and it's more important to find our similarities than, you know, bitch about our differences. Right. I think that needs to happen nowadays more than ever before with a heavy dose of let's actually fucking change things from the grassroots up. Yeah. Because like when I watched that, you know, eight minute and 47 second video, I was, I was fucking appalled and you can talk about the backstory. You can talk about like his history. You can talk. Yeah. The the fact of the matter is like you watch a human kneel on a human like that. You know, it's like no, no fucking shit. People were outraged and by that. That's why and I should be equally as appalled when I watched what happened uh, or for better wording didn't happen after the Kenosha shooter. Mm. Like just, walking down the street m16 like i don't care if you're not in hand you have it on you and you're Mm -hmm. walking down and they just drive past him that's what pissed me off the most i was very saddened by the fact that there was loss of life and that this happened yeah but i also anticipated that this was going to eventually happen not saying i desired it but just by anticipating the way mm-hmm. things are going, yeah, that was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. But the underlying fact of why it's happening was him being able to walk past all of them and go the fuck home. Because yeah. if that was anyone else, yeah, it would have taken maybe two steps and they would have been. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, dude. that's the way that I really look at that, that, that person one there. Now we got a good tie into what we thought our conversations were going to go to. Cause I know there's a lot oh, yeah. of people like I've go- lost respect for in the city in that particular moment when they just, Hey man, he was defending a shop. He was defending himself. It was self-defense. He, he was on the side of the cops. Of course he just walked away or I have, contact with friends who worked in that police force. Maybe you should listen more to what they have to say. And I'm like, yeah, but I've also seen what the sheriff has openly said about the public, what the deputy has openly said about the public there and how their police force views their people. Why the fuck would I give any respect to that? And how are you so just wrapped in this ideology that everything that your superior says is good? Mm-hmm. because that's ultimately what I think it boils down to for me when, and I've noticed a lot of more people are kind of swaying on like understanding that it's not just like a damnation of the entire organization and just mm-hmm. being like, no, it's just built off crap and yeah. nothing that's built off crap can truly be good. We have to fix it. Like you said, grassroots ground up. We yeah. need to just, we need to change how this is all done. But just because you were told at a young age that the policeman is good and the law is everything to abide from, and they can do no wrong. Yeah. There have been 
numerous acts even before a majority of us were around of that not being the case. And even after it's coming around when supposed change has happened where it didn't fucking matter and it hasn't changed the damn thing. Uh, the war on drugs during the war on yeah. terror was a yeah. very immaculate presentation of that. Mm-hmm. Cause while we were all happy and we were seeing this side, mm-hmm. there was also this underlying bubble that we weren't being shown mm-hmm. that I think now we are dealing with the direct repercussion of. Yeah. We're seeing how it's affected the growth of people from like an early age. And now they're living out that means of formation. And like when it comes to like, you know, like, like for me, my experience of police officers when I was a kid is something more positive, but I, I'm, I'm not from the South side of Chicago. No, like we like, live like, in a very different area. Like almost like take a second to like really ponder the reality of like, what does it mean to be like, you know, a disenfranchised minority growing up in the South side of Chicago? What does it mean? It means your friends and your family could not come home because they get mistaken for being like, you know, um, a perp or a fugitive or maybe just, you know, affiliate just because they wore something. And like the, like the gang, like, you know, like the, the gang on gang violence, you know, the police, you know, police brutality violence, you know, it's, it's all just like, it's, it's a different world there. Mm -hmm. So like that kid being raised in Southside Chicago is not going to view, you know, the, the, um, you know, the admirable police officer, the same way that a kid in medicine had Alberta is going to no. do it, right? And and it's understanding that complete difference. And I know it's weird because we have, especially in the past 10 years, I think very much glorified a lot of things from the 90s hmm. and the late 80s. And Straight Outta Compton, I think, is a very good depiction of all of that. Mm-hmm. And so many people miss the fucking point yeah. of half that movie. Like, yeah. The entire, like... The entire fuck the police scene. Half the people watch and they're just happy to get to see the riots and they fail to realize like the context of, you know, them at the studio and what they dealt with leading up to that. The fact that they were told by the was it the National Guard of the FBI to yeah. not I'm perform not sure. that song to instead of a right. And the fact that prior to that, our very first interaction is Cube, um, like not just gang members coming onto his bus and intimidating people mm-hmm. for trying to act tough and then being like, boy, you better act smart. You don't want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Like you want, you want to be tough like that. And then immediately seeing what happens for everyone who isn't a part of that subculture. Yeah. Yet the police don't give a fuck because they all look the same to them. And just really like, that was the main underlying issue. Like the Rodney yeah. King problem. The reason they made sure that that was brought up in the movie was because mm-hmm. that was a huge breaking point for people. Yeah. And what's sad is here we are. What? Not even 26, 27 years later, and we've had three different public displays of that mm-hmm. over this pandemic. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 um, I don't want to say disheartening, but it's very. Oh, it is, man. Uh, yeah. That is the way to put it, actually. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of people in my life that, you know, are, are, have been so avidly anti anything that doesn't come from like the UCP or whatever. And it's like, you can tell they're so married to their ideas where it's like, but thankfully I also have like, you know, ultra progressive friends mm-hmm. and like really, 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 really open-minded moderates. And like that, you know what, like these past three years have been for me, they've been a, a, a transformation of like really checking all of my influencers in my mm-hmm. life and like people that feed into me you know, having certain thoughts on whatever the conversation topic might be, but like, you know, like check your privilege, <laughs> check, you know, being told to check your privilege. That was something that like, when I first heard, I was like, that sounds pretty fucking There's- edgy and judgy. But then I like, 
I looked into it and it's like, oh no, like what that means is like, take a second to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Exactly. Really? really? And it's like, I think the people who take it over the top and be like, you should be ashamed for like, you know, the good places that you come from. It's like that ultra, ultra, super far left, like critique yeah. is a little too much for me, but I think instead it's, you know, I, I resonate more with like, Hey, things are fucked up even though you don't see it and hear about it. Now you're just seeing it more and hearing about it more. And here's how we can actually work together to make some real change. That's, that's, that's what I can hundred percent get behind. And I, I can also hundred percent get behind being told like, you know, ways that I'm acting or things that I'm doing are wrong. Like if they're really wrong, like I appreciate that yeah. because I don't want to be a gross human. Like I want to be a better contributing member of my family, my friend's circle, you know, and like the greater community that I call home here in the hat, right? Like I want to, yeah, fucking rights. I want to be progressive. Hell yeah. Do yeah. I identify with conservatives? No. Liberals? No. Both? Yes. I'm nuanced. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just one fucking party mm -hmm. for all kind of thing. It's like, I just. On a, I find a lot of people don't understand what the fuck the definitions of these parties actually mean in relation to the actual spectrum. Yeah. Like I will 100%. I am a very left leaning individual. I have some moderate um, viewpoints when it comes to like home life and shit, but that's just because again, I was raised by my grandparents. Of course, I'm going to have a bit more of a traditional like yeah. family lifestyle viewpoint. But on the other hand, like I'm very liberal and everything else, but I don't believe that just shoving that down people's throats is the way to go. But I also understand at a certain point, you need to just shut someone, the like not so much shut them up, but shut them off. Yeah. Like the, there is a point where engaging is fucking worthless. It is not point your time because mm. they aren't there to be having a dialogue they're exactly. there to watch you get pissed off because mm. a lot of people grew up on fucking 4chan and think that they're comedians because they have a platform yeah it was just a joke man it's like yeah you can say that but when six or seven people directly go dude that's not funny mm -hmm. like, you can you can you can say what you want you have your opinion but doesn't mean your opinion is right and yeah there's there's a certain not so much line in the sand but there's a point where individuals on any side of the spectrum have to acknowledge like, Oh, I'm holding this viewpoint mm -hmm. and everyone around me across the spectrum is telling me I'm a fucking idiot asshole for saying this. Am, am I an asshole? Mm -hmm. What? Do, I think it's, why do I think it's funny? Why do, why do I think that's funny? Mm -hmm. I'm an asshole. Then from there, like go about how you want. If you want to grow as a person, then mm -hmm. more and more people will be able to engage with you, and you can yeah. have a growing conversation. Yeah, and if man. you don't, you can just be the dude. Everyone goes, "Yeah, no, that's just Billy." No, we don't really talk to Billy. Yeah. I mean, we have gatherings every weekend. We, he doesn't fucking know. He, he we tell him once a month because he'll get suspicious. <laughs> he'll get suspicious if we don't hang out with them once in a while. Yeah, but yeah, no, he's like the. No, don't tell him he's here. Don't mm. tell him Joe's here. No, nope. yeah. break the plan. Yeah, and that's that's where I'm at with a lot of people, and that's why I'm I'm leaving or like unfriending certain individuals. Where I'm just like, okay, I can't have a conversation with you. I don't yeah. want to see your shit. Yeah, maybe we'll reconnect later and reconvene. Mm. But right now, just no. But mm -hmm. something you said about influence, like checking your influencers, um, made me think of something that a. Uh, Individual and mainly the music scene, but mm. um, his background is really funny because you'll laugh at this. Oh, cool. Uh, Finn McKinty, who is now the main, he's like the main marketing uh, manager for Ultimate Recording Machine. He does a lot of stuff for Horizon devices, get good drums. Oh, cool. 
Uh, he used to be the main, one of the main guys that helped design and put together all those Abercrombie and Fitch shirts that were selling so much while we were in high school. Oh no shit. Yeah. Hilarious. And like, he's this like this wicked, awesome, like old yeah. school, hardcore dude. And, but he made a quote, uh, post two days ago that I think it's, um, it speaks a lot to what you said. And I think just in general, a vibe that I think makes a lot of sense and yeah. how we can work with each other. I will apologize. It's a little long. <laughs> Do it, but man. Here's what he says. Um, if people have been listening this long, they're they're prepared for some more. Exactly. <laughs> um, like a lot of people, I've been pretty anxious and bummed out lately by all the sad and scary things that are happening this year. And sometimes I think we're doomed because the people in power now, either in government or in the private sector, keep repeating a lot of the same dumb, short-sighted mistakes that are making things worse and worse. Mm. And I just think, well, I hope I'm dead before the shit really hits the fan. But I have hope that the younger generation will save our dumb asses because as much as everybody likes to make fun of the millennials and Zoomers, the truth is that they are smarter than my generation is. We are smarter than our parents, the boomers were. Mm-hmm. They do some goofy things because everybody does when they're, because that's what everyone does when they're young, but Fuck their heads yeah. and hearts are in the right places. They aren't as thoughtless and greedy as my generation is. Mm. And they care about things that were too dumb to take seriously. For example, they care deeply about a company's values and the, what their beliefs are as they should. Yeah. The entire idea of like you pay, you vote with your dollar. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I will continue to make fun of zoomers because it is my duty as a scene elder, but in all seriousness, they give me hope support the next generation. Don't be a cynical old asshole to them. And if you are a zoomer, at least pay some attention to us old people because sometimes we are right. And remember we are all on the same team. So let's act like it. Perfect. Uh, Perfect uh, piece of content there. My yeah. attitude about all this is like, if you're if you're not on team people, then you can go fuck right yeah. off. Like, and I will not, you know, sugarcoat it. And you know, like obviously, you know, in the proper context, and I, I won't always tell someone to fuck off. But like, I will not bother surrounding myself with people who are the kryptonite of what I'm going for, which is to become a good person. Cause there are some people who just fucking get off on being total pricks and assholes. Uh, it's right? un- and it's unfortunately those that are in the power to do so in yeah. whatever region with that, let's take a quick little microcosm into the second last song of the episode. Cool. That means we aren't done. We could go for whoever knows how long it's true. This is, this is a good time, but yeah, our man. third band is going to be Neo Farah. Uh, the song is called Savior. Uh, this is a self-release. It was a. Vi- it came out on um, the 25th of August. It's a single, and it also has a music video. So go look this up on YouTube. It's for fans of Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Soundgarden, System of a Down, and Tool. Fuck yeah! Interesting combination. I Those like are the that. first four bands that you name that I actually know. <laughs> nice. Uh, Neon Rover mixes progressive percussion with dynamic driving bass and manic grunge guitar riffs. They're a three-piece alternative rock band from Ottawa. Uh, the band's vocals blend frantic whispers, pounding highs, soulful lows, and cathartic screams, and lyrics that peel the layers of conceit and corruption from our neon era. Nice. An era of social media perfection and celebrity worship that hides scars beneath fractured relationships, and even the voices in our own heads are all, all are stripped bare. So this, nice, this will man. be interesting. So let's check out Savior by Neon Era from... Ottawa, Canada. Go find it on all streaming platforms and check out the music video on YouTube.
of reminds me of what uh, Les Claypool sounds like in Primus. That's cool. Like yeah. his voice there, then that wow, 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 that kind of sound. I don't know. It's hard that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, that was Nero uh, Neo Nera song Savior. Go get it on all streaming platforms. Go check out the music video. Mm. That was a nice little uh, change of pace from the other two songs. I'm not gonna lie. It oh was yeah, a nice little uh, nice little palate cleanser. Yeah, that's true, man. That was cool. Shout out to those guys, man. Hell yeah. Well, you know, we kind of, we, we skidded around things and we entered into things. I'm just going to let you nosedive us right into the last bit. How do, how would you like to start what could be the controversial conversation? What do you want to throw into the Shit, ring? dude. Well, I feel like we've, uh, we've, we've kind of covered, covered some of those things. Um, we've, we, We've we've talked about some really really sensitive hot topics right now. That's true. Um, and we seem to, we seem to we seem to be doing the thing that I hoped would happen, which would be even though you and I might not see eye to eye, eye, to eye on every single you know nuance of these issues, mm-hmm. um, like we could still have a good civil conversation about it, right? Yeah. Like, um, let me think here. One thought that does kind of come to mind. And I, I I was thinking about it a little bit, but um, I recently, well, not recently, but I remember seeing your post about Pantera. Oh yes, and like I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, kick the the that's proverbial right. horse no, that's whatever. Right. But like, it's a good one to end on. If yeah, anything. <laughs> like I took time to read everything that you wrote, yeah. which is um, I don't want, I don't want to pat my own shoulder, but there's it's a like, lot. Like yeah, yeah, a, that one, that one, I went pretty fucking ham on. Yeah, but I really appreciated you saying everything that you said about it because. I think it was coming from a place of like just real sincere, um, like righteous anger Mm -hmm. and you being so unapologetically yourself is really important because like, yeah, you said things that not everyone's going to agree on. And I'm pretty sure I even, I even like said like, you know, like something that I don't really, how I, how I don't agree with this per se, but still respect your opinion. Um, yeah, I think like, I think that was, uh, that was a good example of you talking about something that, you know, people from like the local scene also seem to really get involved in. Mm-hmm. And people are very passionate about it because it's music and it's bands. And it's like, I'll say it, I'll say it unapologetically. It's like, I'm a huge fucking fan of Pantera and, and especially Dimebag and stuff like that. But I can totally understand like before I even had a chance to like have a conversation yeah. with you about it, like, you know, why you said what you said and, and where, where you're coming from. But like, yeah, man. Like I, I think that uh, you know certain certain parts of the band's image are f- certainly um, dated mm-hmm. to a time when, yeah, like it was just more mainstream for even like you know slightly racially yeah. divisive nuance artwork can be displayed. Yeah, I'm talking about the Confederate flag, oh, yeah, right? No, definitely stuff like that. And the main thing that hurts them, I think, with that is the fact that. That's the, the two, nothing against Phil or everything against Phil. Cause he is my issue with. <laughs> yeah, Pantera. that's right. That's right. But like I will stand, I'll stand on this as much as I may not like the guitar tones, as much as I may not be a fan of Pantera. I have the utmost respect for everything. Finney or uh, Vinny and dime did mm-hmm. when they did it. Like, especially Vinny after the fact, I think he's, honestly the more commendable out of the two to deal with witnessing his brother getting taken out on stage and True still that, continue man. doing what he loved after the fact. Yeah. And what I think is very unfortunate in the case of Pantera is as much as they've done for the scene, as much as they are a product of the time, mm-hmm. Phil overshadows all of that bullshit, especially if he tries to wave the flag on his own. 
Yeah. And that's that's ultimately where my gripe is because mm. I think honestly, if Pantera was done, I mean done, Phil was either retired completely. Yeah. Couldn't sing like we knew he would never pick up a mic or the worst case scenario. And I, I'm not wishing death upon him, but if say yeah. we were in a time where no members of Pantera were alive or just Rex was, fuck it. We'll just say Rex is the only surviving yeah. member at this point. He's a hard oh, motherfucker. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind maybe in honor of everyone, something going down. Like I can get behind listening to the tracks a lot more <laughs> and respecting them for what they are. But while Phil is not only still active, but still so vehemently just for what he does. And so against accepting his fault, that's the main one. Like, yeah, that's the main one. He's so against accepting all the shit that he is being criticized for and just shrugging it off is like the typical, well, that's your opinion, man. Yeah. I didn't mean it that way, but I mean, if that's how you see it, eh, fuck mm-hmm. me. by the way, I'm going to go start a like black metal band now. Probably the worst <laughs> style of music for you to jump into immediately after all of this shit happens. Oh Why? Because nothing yeah. is black metal. It's kind of got that hue of that's kind of where they all lay. Like that's mm-hmm. the one genre of metal where we all just accept like, okay, there's going to be some really hateful people in that genre because yeah. they're angry people and they're lashing out about shit. I mean, Norwegian yeah. black metal was a thing, but it has a history. Like, yeah, it man. Sucks. Churches get burnt. It's yeah. a thing. And it may not be like that now, like mm-hmm. as it is now, but just the connotation behind mm-hmm. like doing what he does and then be like, all right, cool. I'm a, I'm gonna go form this black metal band now. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way. Um, oh, Vinny and Dimer dead. I, would you guys like it if I brought back like a mock Pantera band with like Zach Wilde and a bunch of really cool guys and pay tribute and honor to my fallen brothers? You know, the same ones that didn't want to talk to me and completely ended the band because of my shit. Yeah, man. Like that, that's just, but see, you understand the actual backstory behind, you know, what Rex and dime and, and, and Phil, yeah. um, it's not just an outlandish shape because of yeah. one moment that was heavily publicized. Yeah, it's looking 100%. into like, is this just a one-off occurrence or is there something deeper Dude. here? And then really figuring out, okay, it happened more than once and hmm. it happened while they were alive on stage with yeah. him too. Yeah, hundred percent. And then, I don't know, like what happened when, I don't know, a damage plan got formed. Yeah. It was like a, Hey it's- Phil. Fuck you. See ya. We're done. Yeah. And like Pantera was at a very, very high point in their career. Like they had just finished their tour. They of, were the hottest um, North American band, period. I think it was, was the great Southern trend kill their last album. Yep. Yeah. Fucking gnarly, heavy shit. They had proven over a decade that they were the band to be. Yeah. Like that was it. It wasn't the band to beat. They were the band to be. Yeah. Because they were always going to be truly unapologetically themselves and they turned down numerous opportunities yeah. to like, you know, they did sell out and, and they you know. did so much for Southern metal, so much for hardcore metal, so much yeah. for modern groove metal. Like mm-hmm. that much cannot be denied. Yeah. It's just again, Phil. And I respect that. And th- the main reason why I wanted to bring this up and why, why I felt like this might be a fitting end chapter of, of today's discussion. I don't want to put a timestamp on nothing. Cause I'm having yeah. a fucking great time. By who, the knows way. Where we, who knows where we're going with it's this true, man. But like, um, I think being able to bring up the topic of, you know, um, sep- or separating like the artist from the artwork. Yes. You know, this conversation comes up in a, in a lot of my musical Death circles of, of friends. Yeah. Another phrase. For yeah. It. Yeah. Like, or like, you know, like, you know, like Michael Jackson, 
prime example, right? We've been talking about Michael Jackson's life choices in relation to his music for There's so decades. much in that backstory that it's almost mm-hmm. more sad than it is disturbing, which mm-hmm. is that ultimately makes it sadder that it's like, yeah, but that that's the connotation behind it. Yeah. And it's about like, I, I guess, asking the question of like, is it permissible, you know, to um, accept the art, even though the artist, you know, might have later on or, or is doing whatever, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, things that just aren't good. Um, I think it's totally up to the discretion of the fucking consumer. Because oh, again, like I'm pro freedom. When I saw your post, I was like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, Nathaniel is saying all this shit unapologetically. And people are like, you know. You people know, getting angry. <laughs> I loved so many of those stupid, small-minded, like, you know, like comments and responses. And I'm like, dude, ain't like, ain't barely anyone going to give like Nathaniel proper conversation. And then on top of it, you still have like the charity to fucking discourse with like some of those fucking mouth breathers out there. It's oh, like, Oh man. my God. Like the patience on this dude. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it is interesting to say the least on how oh, I patient I can be on some things. And it's just because ultimately like, and I know you and I talked about this on the phone because mm. I'll be honest at first when you called me, like I was chatting with Sestra and I saw you called me like the time, like we never talk. Yeah. Like we never talk. <laughs> never like, man. What this is. This has to be a pocket dial. I'm just gonna let this. I'm just gonna let this go. And then he messaged me right after. I'm like, oh shit! He actually. Okay, hey, buddy, yeah. let's talk. Cool. And, yeah, and that's like, funny. I just wanted to reach out and be like, man, I appreciate the way that you can have a conversation with people in those instances. And I just went, well, ultimately, like, I get it. No one is innately evil. Like, I don't believe in this good and evil spectrum of shit. Yeah. Like, that's it's too black and white. And if that's the case, I believe in the gray. Qui-Gon was Bay. There, like, <laughs> bringing a full circle to Star Wars, yeah, baby. Like, just yeah. like on, there is no everything is so smeared. Mm-hmm. Like, the best intentions can have the worst consequences, and the yep. worst intentions can have the best consequences. Like, it's fucked up how shit works. Yeah, and everyone just wants what's best for not just themselves but those around them, mm. and only the sociopathic are the ones that only look out for themselves. Like, even though I work very hard to keep everything I work on afloat, I still have busted my ass over a decade putting the scene first in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And instead of putting money into gear and putting money into shit, I'm like, all right, let's put on a show. The metal scene needs something or else there ain't gonna be anything. So here we go. Oh, everyone's bitching about door. Oh, bands are bitching there. You guys are paid before the show even starts. Why? At least you guys are happy before you hit the stage and you're not fucking worrying. I'd feel a lot more comfortable knowing my performers are happy before they hit the stage than Mm. wondering if they're going to get fucking snaked because unfortunately that was our scene's reputation for a few years. Mm -hmm. Just because of, again, poor intentions underlined with bad consequences. So, I don't know. Patience is just... There needs to be growth. There is no one way of doing shit. Although I am very much like... It should go this way. Mm-hmm. If you can make a good enough fucking counter argument, mm-hmm. I will try your way. Yeah. But I will also let you know if it goes wrong, that's on you. Yeah. Like that, that was your fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I did something that might lead to it. But you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. very much like everyone has good intentions. Yeah. They yeah, don't totally. agree on what those intentions should be or how to go about them. Yeah. Which is why, like, the pipeline instance in Canada I think is a very good description of that because Mm. I agree it would be a very resourceful thing 
to have a quicker source of access yeah. for our product. I would also agree that maybe having more fucking refineries in our country would benefit us. Not exporting it and buying it back would be handy. You should send an email to our prime minister. I'm sure he'd really appreciate this information. Yeah. But on the other hand, I also agree that, you know, just because it's convenient to go through territories that we have deemed other people's mm. due to a system where we already fucked them enough. Let's be honest. Oh, hundred percent. Dude, we are, we are just like the States. We are countries that were built upon slavery yeah. and yeah. like, like fucking in our case, it was more like just a decimation of the local indigenous we, and then lying to them and like making like false deals. And yeah, dude, it's a fucking can of worms. Yeah. But you know how many of my friends will never talk about this? Like, and I'm talking about people who are like, you know, eh, middle to the right. Yeah. Like they just, they will not open this conversation up because they're so fucking married to their idea of like, no, it wasn't that bad. And residential schools weren't that. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, they're just like, they're literally like, they're, they're keeping themselves in a shell. Man, we didn't even know, you know what I mean? the extent of how bad they were. And we were taught them. Like, yeah. We were in the generation of students that were actually taught about this shit. Yeah. And we still weren't told exactly how bad they were. Yeah. But we kind of understood looking at everything like um what we did what to the kids we did what now for how long and then like looking like adonis yeah if you we had a few native guys and or indigenous individuals Mm -hmm. in our um at mccoy Mm -hmm. and i was in foster care with a few indigenous and native uh individuals in calgary for a while Mm -hmm. and um wow yeah I thought I got the shit end of the stick sometimes. Like, sure, I did for my situation. Oh, man. Yeah. Would not wish what happened to me and my family on anyone. But yeah. wow, I know people that probably didn't deal with that, but probably had a worse card to begin with and still ended up where I was. Yeah, and dude. Um, they didn't have the outs I did. They didn't have family willing to sell businesses and correlate with other family on figuring out ways to do joint custody between three kids to yeah. allow them to still have some simplicity of a normal life, even though yeah. there was no way of doing that. Like yeah. these kids, as far as I know, after I lost communication and moved here, mm-hmm. they probably stayed in the fucking system until they were 18. Mm-hmm. And like, sure. Technically I did as well with my grandparents, with me personally refusing adoption and just maintaining ward status while living with my grandparents. Yeah. That was my personal choice though. And it gave me some benefits. And my grandparents did everything they could to give me benefits on top of that to give me a better chance. I don't think any of them had that backing for mm-hmm. them. They had to rely on a system that was fundamentally fucked from the beginning. Yeah. Because it's been, I don't want to say heavily publicized, but because I came from the system, I know more about it. So for me, I, I feel it's heavily publicized, but the Calgary childcare system was heavily fucked in the early 2000s. Wow. Like the foster care system was completely shit. There were some very good foster families in there. I will not paint that broad stroke on everyone because yeah. my second family was fantastic, but there were too many that looked at it as a check. Oh yeah. That looked at it as like, oh, so that's, I can get my kids shit and give them a life. And you know, I'll look after these fucking things for a while and wow. go through that. Like, um, that's horrendous, man. It is. And, um, to think that there were people that had to spend more than nine months in that system. Like that. I just had to spend nine months in there. And the first six, wow. were shit, the last three were really great. Cause my second family, like, I don't know if social services heard about what happened or if they just were like, 
the random like, hey, we need a break. Can you guys look after these kids? You're the next family on the list. And yeah. then they heard everything that was going on. And immediately all of our shit was in the new home. Wow. Like, it was like, hmm. Wow. This is interesting. What oh, you're playing Final Fantasy? What's that? Oh, that's a big sword. Who's the guy with the white coat and the gun? <laughs> that's Rufus. Wow. He's a dick. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, and just, and that's where, like, I think my empathy comes from in those situations. Mm. Just, and someone tried to call it Survivor's Guild. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Like, I, this is not Survivor's Guild. I would be a lot more of a depressive, manic individual if mm. I was living off. The morals of, oh, look what happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I, I kind of do a lot of shit in spite of that. It's wow. not, and it's yeah. not guilt to recognize that I got out of a shit situation and most of the people I left behind probably didn't. Mm-hmm. And who knows where they are at now or what struggles they are now dealing with as a repercussion of that. Yeah. Because at 28, I got a pretty good fucking life right now. Like, I wouldn't have thought I'd be renting a decent house where I can run a studio. I can sublet to a bandmate and two other guys that are pretty fucking cool and I can live with them. And yeah, I'm on year four and it blows me away that during this crisis, I'm not fucking worried. Yeah, dude. That's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't mean to go off on a random tirade there, but just, I, no, it's good. It goes, and I think that, that's where my patient comes patience comes into is mm-hmm. just having to deal with mainly that time mm-hmm. and um learning to have to deal with people and a lot of therapy. A lot of therapy. <laughs> There's huge validity for that. Um I think uh I think something that you just touched on that um is really important that I'm and I'm seeing it change, especially in our community. Um, you know, we've been devastated by so much unnecessary loss of life. Um, I won't get into the nitty gritty just out of respect for the families of but all those it's involved. It's been very hard on our community um, here. There's- yeah. Especially like men's mental health. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I like, to, I like to, I like to think, but I love to see that we are actually are a people of, of growth and progression and change. And I've seen a huge, um, I've seen a huge shift in people's attitudes towards the importance of like mental health in general, but specifically mm-hmm. in mental health of like, like, you know, the people men around you. Yeah. And the people around you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that is for sure going to be, I keep burping that for sure. is going to be an important part of, uh, moving forward and like lifting up people and creating like a stronger, healthier society mm-hmm. is like, you know, yeah, we got we got to get past this COVID shit. It's fucked. It sucks. You know, Gwen Stefani was right. This shit is bananas. But like, you know, <laughs> we're gonna thank you. Um, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna find a way to um, you know conquer this uh, virus that is trying to conquer us. We have the technology. We just uh, can't spend all the money, but most of it. No. Um, and then like you know trying to like you know fix like the social fabric which for sure needs a fat fucking overhaul. There's been a lot of things that have been exposed during yeah. covid like to how we treat our senior communities like oh, that was shit. extremely disgusting. The stuff that's like people being left in homes yeah, like, in Quebec what I think like this yeah, is why I have fucked. this is why I, I work really, in healthcare so I'm super fucking yeah, no, jaded about this. I, that, that's yeah. got to really piss you off and that's why like uh, yeah. why I have such support for things like uh the BL, like what the BLM movement is 
truly standing for, not the ones that try to get painted with this extremist bro, um, brush stroke, because mm. I'm sorry, you're fucking everywhere. No matter what side of the fucking political fence you are, I can name an extremist that represents you. Yeah. But the fact is, I don't let them have a blank stroke on you. It's not, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't Al Qaeda. We're not looking at everyone with brown skin with a squinted eye being concerned about, like, where they're coming from. We are not yeah. in this, we are past this. We are all one and the same mm. and addressing things like the main principle of that. That's good. We need to be talking about that yeah. because the only way we'll change it is by everyone talking about it, mm. exposing the shit situation. That is um, the failure of certain infrastructures in the healthcare system, because people like you that work within the system mm. are even repelled by it and disgusted and being like, how is this? Mm. How is this? How we look after our people like this? Oh yeah. There's our, some days where like I get home from like, like thankfully, like the the company that I work for and the work that I do, like you know, it's we're we're a, a smaller facility and um, it's an effective model of care. But like when I look at like the condition of like the country and the condition of like you mm-hmm. know the continents and stuff, it's so hard to not go home and just put on you know the system has failed by Megadeth and just like fucking like yeah. you know just ruin that because there's a lot of fucked up shit right there, now. But there is there's a way for us to to work out of it, and that's kind of where I wanted to take this, which is like you know there it's good that we're able to have this conversation here and just, you know, speak from the heart and be honest about where we're at and what we think and, and, you know, and talk about nuanced topics Mm -hmm. as they should be. Um, but like, I think an important place to take your mind is like, even though it's hypothetical, ask yourself the question or let me ask you, Nathaniel, Mm -hmm. if you had the means Money wasn't an object. Human resources wasn't an object. If you had the complete means to make immediate change, you had like the, the proverbial wand. What would you? What would you do if you had the means to to fix all the Tom fuckery that's going on right now? You could talk about one problem. One, one or, fundamental yeah. oof. That's hard, especially with how interlinked everything is. No, but the fundamental, uh, the first fundamental link that uh, chain that has to break. Is the overall dynamic of power, politics, and money, mm. and how those are all bred into and out of each other. Mm. There needs to be a extreme, not I won't say separation because you that there's no way the infrastructures would work. Mm. If we had complete separation, then it wouldn't work. But the idea of being able to influence politics with your like financial backing to allow things to go this way, because if we're Getting down to the nitty gritty, that is the core um, projection of everything. Like yeah. everything that is wrong feeds off that. Mm. So if we can uh, get rid of that, now we can start picking off every other thing that is linked to it. But as long as that is the fundamental aspect of how, I don't just want to say uh, democracy, but I think politics and just politics, economics, and overall view of the well-being of your people whatever mm-hmm. your definition of your people is whether it's your continent your family like it can be as minute or extravagant as you want it to be but mm-hmm. it's not to be exclusionary with that as well yeah but that needs to be honed in and on focused and reestablished. and i think we're starting to see that more through us mm. bringing everything else up because it's kind of fun watching people do the deep dive I get worried when people go down the conspiratorial route. And I mean that yeah. past the realm of like pandemic. Like yeah. when we're going to like the realms of like, wow, you guys like I'm watching this and I can see how you are all getting tricked because 
I am doing backtracking on a separate tab to make sure that things line up right now. And wow, if you weren't doing that, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, damn, this would be damn convincing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but just falling, instead of falling down a rabbit hole, just dissecting the problems that are larger and bringing them down to their core values. Mm -hmm. Because if we, we can get distracted by sem semantics, that's how these systems were built. That's mm -hmm. why we have so many underlying problems built off the same infrastructure. It's because yeah. it was built that way. Yeah. The system isn't broken. Mm -hmm. The system functions exactly as it's designed. Yeah, man. The and system hasn't failed. It's actually just been a failure from the beginning. Exactly. But so, now we're seeing the actual failed effects of it so we as a people and this is why it's, it's hard especially in an era where i feel a lot of people in democratic societies are very wary of the political process mm -hmm. because of how shitty it is but this this is the a time and i think our era and our time as a species in this um where, wherever we are and what our timeline will be yeah this is going to be a point where we will really decide how well that process works yeah. and if the people can truly use it in a way that works because as much as the system was designed to keep all the shit in conflict that's only because they're all designed to distract you there is a streamlined process somewhere mm -hmm. there it's just you know you need everyone to stay on track and yeah. not veer off in other directions and just agree okay we disagree on x y and z but we fundamentally agree on a b and c mm -hmm. we focus on a b and c mm -hmm. get to d We'll get to X, Y, and Z later. Yeah. Like that's end game. Like those we need, not saying we don't need to address it. Yeah. We can make small chap chops at it as we go. But as long as these things are not changed, the rest of the alphabet doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, man. Cool. Yeah. And concept that makes a lot of sense for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I, what I would you do? I think right now, like immediately um, I'd be very selfish and I would do something in particular just like to affect, um, my community mm -hmm. and that is i would find ways i would apply for grants i would whatever or if i just if I, if, I, if money was the problem i would pump hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars into art into yeah. like like the fine arts the fine. like everything from education like in the school systems all the way up to like you know like across the board you know there should be you know, in my ideal world, like there could be like a fucking, like there could be like a metal district, you know, like a jazz district. There could be, you know, um, there could be bands playing in every single club in town every weekend, honestly. Like there could be, if, 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 if there was enough support to do oh, so. Oh, yeah. So there could be something happening every week. You know, mm -hmm. Stylistically, you'd have to space it out. 100%. But it, there, there's so much. And I think that's really cool. Um, this made me really sad, but also really makes me want to push for the idea of like, we need more all ages shit. Mm -hmm. um, last, oh God, it would be last year or two years ago, year and a half ago, leading up to last year's all waves. Um, I wanted to do some shit to lead into it and like figure out like, okay, is there any way we can do like a high school battle of the bands? Like, is there oh, enough interest yeah. in music in these schools yeah. for it to happen? Yeah, it sucks. There isn't. Because they have no fucking opportunities to even get introduced or become a part of it unless you're, lack of a better term, in a privileged situation where someone can either afford to get you an instrument or get you an instrument and lessons or like there, it sucks, but there is an entryway to music. And it's even if it's just the instrument, mm -hmm. that's a lot for some people. And there's a lot of people that don't have that 
accessibility and without shows being a mm-hmm. fucking thing, mm-hmm. like yeah. no one can do anything, especially without all ages shows because mm-hmm. every, everyone in our scene right now, regardless of uh, the style you're into, yeah. if you're in your mid to late twenties, you got into this shit because of shit like the Legion shows are just hearing that stuff like that was happening. Yeah. Hearing that there were places you could go and play and that there were open jams. And then throughout the past decade, it's just been one by one. We've axed away mm. either through um, poor action by uh, those abusing the privileges that were granted or just poor connotation of what that's all about, which is unfortunate. Awesome. And, there needs to, and there needs to be more focus on, I think on that, because as much as I love the idea of more bar shows and I love yeah. the idea of all this, it's, it'd be like, It'd be like the Royal for me. And as much as I love the Royal, I feel like the Royal is the place for everyone who 20 years ago, like on average age range of being like 40 to 60, when I was going there, like 20 years ago, really fucking loved just getting out, playing shows wherever they could, doing whatever. And now they just want to go somewhere comfortable, chill, jam, and play stuff that makes them nostalgic. Yeah. it's a, And that's nothing, there's nothing wrong with nostalgia. It's um, just a completely different live experience compared to, say, going to Liquid for a four-band metal night where you're probably not going to hear anything you've heard before, Mm -hmm. but you're going to see 16 guys killing it on stage because they just fucking love it because Mm -hmm. they're able to move that way still versus... And there needs to be more of that introductory basis for those that are energetic and curious and figuring shit out to get out and interact with more people and get more involved so that things like the Royal can still exist 30 years from now when the next generation of old guys go, I don't feel like going to like all these other shows. I just want to go and back to the Royal. Yeah. Rock at the Royal. You guys fucking remember Lamb of God. Yeah, man, let's go play some old school Lamb of God at the Royal. Like, cause that will be considered classic. All right, shit. kids, this next one's called "Laid to Rest." Yeah, <laughs> are you guys ready for a little track called "Redneck"? Oh my god! And would, then everyone's yeah. baffled that the fifty-year-old's still able to do the Chris Adler drum yeah. parts because but they yeah, still. Like, so, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't Snapchatting. I wasn't checking the uh, the Instas. I was just on my phone looking up a really interesting statistic that I wanted to mention in the yeah. context of this conversation. Because, okay. like, I said art, yeah. right? So. Um, I decided to look up my brain works weird sometimes. I wanted to find out what's the what's the the GDP gross domestic product mm-hmm. produced just in Alberta um, based on like arts entertainment and, that, and that's like that's that's everything right that's like that's you know concerts and shows bar, and bar shows. everything. So in 2018 because it only goes as recent as 2018 right now um, in Alberta it was. Oh, wow. So this is valued in millions. Okay. Um, and the number it shows is 1,798 million. I think. Shit. Cause it's like, it's like 1,000, it's like one comma seven, nine, eight point six. And then it says value chained millions. Huh? So I'm not sure what 1,798 million, like that's probably getting up into like, into like the billions. Yeah. That'd be 1 billion. 
But anyways, um, my math on that reading that number could be wrong, but what you can't argue with is the annual percentage. So it's 1.9. So 1.9% of our entire province's GDP comes from, from arts. That's actually a decent amount. That's a lot of fucking money. Holy fuck. Like when you, cause you're talking about Alberta, right? Like, you know, we're like the, the, Calgary, the, Edmonton, the every show yeah. that happens there. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, Lethbridge, Brooks, Medicine Hat, um, Hardston. So like, think about how powerful it would be to see more investment in that sector. Because like, I can just like think about a Medicine Hat. Like I had a chance to perform uh, an acoustic duo, um, show last weekend at the yard that new little pop-up bar down on third street it's packed as shit people were there it was bumping it was fun like and those people get to come out and they get to experience a good time you know i had tables coming up to talk to me and my buddy alex evangelos shout out to our new project mac and cheese oh nice um (laughs) it's one one show under the belt it's experimental we'll see where it goes but anyways yeah like people from calgary were there but there was one couple from there was two tables from calgary one table from Vancouver and they were all just happened to be at home visiting family here in that. Oh but shit. But they brought like people with them and stuff. And they, all these different people were at the yard having a good time. And it just made me think about, okay, like it may seem small, but like just having, you know, good art of all the genres and types and styles and whatever in a community and pumping it full, you know, it's only going to lead to better quality of life. Like even just driving downtown and seeing all the art on the side of the Assiniboia, it's like, that's fucking awesome. Oh yeah. It just, it gives a bit of livelihood. Like, Oh, when the tunnel first got repainted, like that was nice. Like it was all the color was vibrant. It was like, Oh yeah. That was the place to take all my gnarly metal band photos (laughs) back in the day. Yep. In the fucking tunnel, the tunnel. Yeah. And the bridge. And the bridge. Fuck yeah. Two the two places. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe somewhere in King Cooley. Yeah. But it makes me think of like, okay, so going forward, you know, I just I hope that we can continue as a community to become more uh cohesive, more empathetic, um, more considerate of like how you treat the people around you. And I think that's gonna be like the main catalyst to get us not just back to where, you know, like where things of you know joy and comfort were before all this shit went down, but I think like, but I think that moving forward, like you know, it'll be the core of what helps to create like a better, stronger city. And my biggest hope, because like you know, I work in healthcare, but like I'm I'm a huge fan of the medicine at music scene, and I'm I'm really really grateful to get a chance to talk to you because I know you're a huge proponent of like the metal shows and like so much more that I can't even get into because I don't even know the full extent, but I, I see you at all these shows and like, I see all the work that you're doing and I walk downstairs in your fucking basement and it's like, it's a fucking, it's a full studio, man. Like that shit's awesome. I have a lot of respect for you that you've devoted so much time. And I, I know like if I wouldn't have picked up a bass at, you know, 10 years old and taken lessons at UCOM and gotten into bands and started playing shows, I would not be at all where I am right now. And no. through music and art and seeing more of the world, speaking of art, there it is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, man, it definitely wouldn't, it, I'd be a totally different person. So I, now that I'm back in the hat, I care so much more to be like present and help, you know, just be a contributing member to the medicine and music scene. So I can't wait until you can finally announce here's our next show. And I can finally go fucking headbang to a oh, band man, and just I, like, you know, I can't wait for um, us to finally feel like it's, it's time for us to come back is just mm-hmm. with the nature of what metal shows are like, we're naturally going to be a lot more sweaty. Yeah. Well, not just that. Like, we're going <laughs> to be a lot, I guess, um, resistant to just coming out 
and doing a show the moment someone's like, yeah, no, like you, you can. And we're like, yeah, but can we assure that we're going to make sure everything's going to go well? And we're like, mosh pits, man. Like we, as long as this thing is a thing, uh-huh. like, we're kind of, we're the odd man out because as much as we all would like to think it, no one wants to leave their house to sit at a venue to listen to metal. No. That's not how we enjoy our stuff. We will sit at home and do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> called fucking YouTube. Exactly. You so we're we'll just chair. <laughs> but with that, it makes me extremely happy and uh, excited for when we can. Oh, because fuck. all that means is everyone's going to be that much more hungry. Oh, everyone's yeah. going to have all this time to get their shit together. And those that did, they're going to own. Mm-hmm. Like, is, if, if people are thirsty for shows and bands capitalize on this, we might see something come out of post COVID. There might be a huge resurgence of like even better quality and caliber stuff. Exactly. And that's why I think like yeah. just everyone who's involved in the scenes needs to really think, like start thinking now, like how can we make things better mm-hmm. the moment we feel we are safe to do so. And that's why like, I'm so very adamant on like, I love the idea of going to the main liner for shows. I love the idea of going using liquid for shows. Cause that stage is awesome. Mm-hmm. We need all ages shit. Fuck yeah. That's my, that's my focus. That's my primary uh, goal. And we need to find ways to make that more. Um, I like just happening more often. I was trying to think of another way to phrase that, but that's just, we need to make that the main way the shows happen for a while. Yeah. And there needs to be a way to do it in a way that doesn't detract those that aren't like under the age of 18 because uh, like, fuck. Um, I'm sorry that, you know, the other ones, you couldn't buy beer. We need to figure out a way to allow people of all ages to come in and enjoy the show. The way yeah. we were able to enjoy shows 10, 15 years ago, like go in, get carded. Okay. You're a minor. Here's this wristband. Don't be a dick. Don't, yeah. don't be a dick. This wristband means you don't get served alcoholic beverages. Don't be a fucking prick. Mm-hmm. And you there, who you are of age. So you're with them. Don't be a fucking dick. Yeah, don't fucking ruin it for everyone else. Yeah. I actually had experience going to a couple of all-ages shows. Um, one here in the hat and a couple in Calgary when I was, again, when I was younger and stuff. Um, but I felt spoiled um, when I was younger. I was like, you know, oh, let's go to a concert. Oh, we should go see. Oh, we should go see Metallica or like Shh. Iron Maiden. Let's and go see like, the big boys. Fuck, fuck the underground. You know what was fun though? Fun time, Monsters of Rock. Oh yeah, 2007, 2006. Yeah, man. Ozzy Shadows was headlining. Ozzy Shadows Fall was fucking nuts, man. I Holy fell in love with that shit. band. That them and Three Inches of Blood. Fire yeah. up the blades. Oh my god. Waving the flag around. I'm watching them. I saw my first real boobs at that concert. Oh dude, yeah, they put them on the Megatron for everyone to see. It was awesome. <laughs> no man, but I, these were Megatron boobs. These were like this chick was in our section and she was fucking hammer as fuck. But she's like, I want to show them, and I was like, I ain't gonna fucking stop you. Yeah, it's great. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I remember watching, I'm pretty sure this was during Shadows Fall. Could have been doing three inches, but I'm pretty sure it was Shadows Fall. Um, Because I, I was in the rafters with my uncle and I'm watching the beer line. Like, it's growing. It's going on the back. <laughs> I and got then, a story about the beer line. And then um, <laughs> then uh, Brian Fair goes, he's like, you know what? This has been awesome. I see a circle pit there and a circle pit there. But you know what? There's this entire back area that isn't being used. You know what I want to see? I want to see three massive circle pits going. <laughs> yeah. And then I want you all to collide into one mega <laughs> And then I'm just sitting there watching this. And yeah. as it goes on and he's just fucking going at it with his dreads and they're ripping yeah, around. Dude, I'm seeing yeah. the beer line just slowly getting engulfed by the back. Oh, of the man. Oh, it was beautiful. Oh, I was like, I want to be down there. But also. That's nuts. 
much. I was not down in the beer line during that time, but I think it, I think it was during Surge Tank, and um, I was like, I, me and again, me and Zach Jolliker, we went there together, and we were so fucking high, we got fucking ripped in the line waiting to get into the venue, let alone over there, and just, you know, joints going up yeah. and down the row. But what, what a different world we lived in back then, man. Like, oh yeah, a joint for some random. I don't give a fuck, whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyways. Got so fucking ripped that I tried to find the food line and I ended up standing in the beer line for an hour. I'm like, no! Some guy had, had pity on me. It was like, here, man. And like, he handed me a burger. And I was like, you have no fucking clue what it just means to me. He's like, yeah, dude, I'm a stoner. I know. Like, they get, oh, it. They get it. They fucking get it, man. I remember I stood in the merch line for Olive Priestess to get my shirt, or my uncle and I are shirts. Because I was just like, fuck, I'm getting them now. I don't know who Priestess is. They sound cool. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll probably, probably won't be that long. Yeah. 40 minutes later. Well, I guess I missed that band. Yeah. <laughs> they sounded cool from where I was, but... So you missed Priest? I'm uh, Priestess. Oh, Priestess. Uh, yeah, okay. Priestess earlier in the morning. Yeah, yeah, We didn't get there till the afternoon, so I didn't get a chance taking the whole, whole kit and caboodle. I don't like admitting it, but I actually had to miss the second half of the show because my, my uncle was like, hey, so your grandma's making dinner and we got to go. I'm like, oh, but the no. show is like, don't worry, we can come back as oh, we're walking past no. all the no re-entry signs. I'm oh, like, oh no. So um, I missed my chance to see Ozzy during, honestly, what I think was his last great, like, prime run. Nothing against the 13th Sabbath run. I think that was a great nostalgic trip, mm-hmm. but I think Ozzy as a performer Mm-hmm. That was his last like year of being able to really give it as much as he physically could. Peak yelled, man. It was a great, great set. They played like they played like some really, really cool old shit. But I think that was like was that around like the Black Rain? Yeah, that was Black Rain. It just yeah. dropped. Yes, they played the they played some stuff off Black Rain, but they were playing like like so many hits, man. It was like you know, Bark at the Moon, No More Tears. I remember I spent all night on YouTube just being like, please, someone uploads our Facebook, both YouTube yeah. and Facebook, being like, someone Fuck. upload something. This fucking oh, sucks. Oh man. And I, I love my grandparents to death, and I love my uncle to death. I, I do yeah. not hold grudges, but I will say I will never, will never forget. There was that's the that was the first occasion. The second occasion, and you're going to be like, oh no, dude, that must suck. Because um, obviously, for me, back in high school, Avenged mm. Sevenfold was like one of my go tos, and especially yeah. like I still hold their self the last record they did with the Rev as their best work musically. Cool, yeah, like, man. That, like goddamn, like if you're not into metal, that's cool as a piece of music. Yeah, holy fuck. Yeah, dude. And um, I was supposed to go with Trista to Avenged Sevenfold, and then there was that blizzard. And my grandparents were like, you ain't going. I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, you'll be able to see him again. That December, who just, who, who dies? Fuck. And I'm just like, yeah, sure. sure. I, I could see them again, but it's, it's not, it's not the same. No, man. It's not the same. I didn't, yeah. Atreyu, Atreyu was the other main band I wanted to see from that show. Bullet mm-hmm. was apparently also playing, but I don't think they made it across the border. From okay. what I heard, I still got Tristan bought me a hoodie, so at least That's at least something. I got something from the show. But it's just yeah. one of those like those direct moments where I'm just like, this is why I'm very much a when I'm gonna go see a fucking band that's on my mm. list, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Because there were two instances where that didn't happen, and now to do it now would seem lesser, if that makes sense. Like yeah. uh Metallica is one of those bands for me too, on that aspect. Like I should have gone with Sean with Sean Crucial back in 2012 or 2010, but I was in that I'm over Metallica phase. That's that's old music. Have you heard Gent? <laughs> Fuck music from the 80s. This is where it's at. Oh, yeah. And then it's just like, I just could complete 180 and just being like, no, 
no. I'm tired of all these thrash heads being like, your music sucks. I got my sugar. You can suck it. <laughs> it's okay, man. Everyone goes through their phases. Yeah. Like, I totally relate to that. Yeah. But uh, a band that isn't on that, that I would still fucking in a heartbeat pay to see is Maiden. There's no way that band in any way is ever going to underdeliver as long as Bruce Dickinson is alive. Because that, that is, no. from what I hear, is the show. They killed. I felt very privileged to get to see them on their Flight 666 World Tour. Oh, really? You so I, I saw, yeah, I saw their summer back in time in Calgary. Still to this day, the greatest, most tremendous fucking like high caliber live performance I've ever seen. Man, that's awesome. Sonically, they reproduced their albums like as spot on as you can get. Yeah. They sounded so good and their live show had like six different eddies including a fucking like massive one that came out of the back of the backdrop like with like it was like the mummy from Power Slave yeah. and had these arms stretched out over the fucking crowd and like fireworks and flames like shot out of his face it was fucking ridiculous shit but like they played they played okay to, to put it in perspective because you're a Maiden fan yeah I'll tell you what kind of show it was it was the kind of show where they opened with like Aces High into Two Minutes to Midnight right and then they dipped into like, you know, right away they dipped into like Number of the Beast. They played like, you know, so many hits from that. They played Children of the Damned, right? They played stuff like like the like Maiden fans were like, we're fucking digging in. Of course, they had to play, play like, you know, like the Number of the Beast and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they played, they go back to Power Slave. They played like, um, of course, they played, you know, Power, or, um, they played Power Slave. They played Lost for Words. And they played Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner in its fucking entirety. And they had like a, they had like a boat come down out of the out of the rafters and like you know like they put fog all over the place and when Steve when Steve opens up in that fucking that that fucking that riff, like, oh my god! I was like, oh man! Like I was just like, I got emotional. I, like, I cannot fucking believe I'm like I'm watching Iron Maiden play one of my favorite iconic songs live. Would you say that was one of your favorite shows that you've been to? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Hell yeah! Like. That's- Similar moment was when Metallica played um, And Justice for All on their Death Magnetic tour. I was like, there's no way. And then Lady Justice comes out. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And God, they play, you know, like Sean crucial message me. He sent me a video yeah. of that. He's like, dude, you won't believe what they're doing. I'm like, I'm not yeah. going to let you know, but I'm <laughs> the jelly is real right now. Yeah, dude. What a privilege it's been to get to like, see like some of like my favorite bands that were famous like over 40 years ago and have been, until now mm-hmm. and are still around kicking ass, getting out there, fucking taking names and like putting on like their show for their fans. Fuck. Yeah, there's, dude. There's feel three so. shows. I want to quickly tell you about that. Are that for me. Cool, man. That's for, uh, they're, they're all for completely different reasons too. Uh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay. Well, one of them's a dual thing, but, um, so I'll save the first one for last. Cause I feel like that's the most crucial for me, I guess cool. as a person of music, but, uh, Gojira mm-hmm. and, in flames. Nice. No, there was, those were two separate shows within a month of each other, but they were the same time. I saw in flames with battle cross demon hunter and all shall perish before Eddie left them for suicide silence. Wow. High on mushrooms. Sean crucial's first time on mushrooms. Love you swan. Oh my God. That was a fun time. Ended up smoking a joint with the basis from battle battle cross. No shit. We caught up again at loud as hell and he remembered me. I was like, Ooh, yay. And they promoted our first tunes for talk show. They took our poster that we had with us and we took it with us to Saskatoon, posted a bunch of places on the way. We're like, Holy Fuck shit. It. And they're like, we'll put that on our merch table for the rest of the tour. We're like, 
Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> is this actually happening or is this the mushrooms making shit up? And like, yeah. no, it actually happened. No, and then saw right. Devin Townsend and Gojira there immediately after. And both times uh, the ex had a joint taken from her by the same security guard, which just makes them one thing because it was, that was funny. Mm-hmm. The second was, um, again, a dual show. On, uh, saw Kill Switch engage with Lamb of God. Oh, fuck Testament yeah. was the band that was on right before them. And I missed the other guys because I, I almost fucked up and took us through, uh, um, main pass on the number three. I missed oh, our shit. turn. Yeah. Realized, yeah. hey, that looks like the mountains. I need to turn. But we saw that show and just Kill Switch for me is like one of my main bands and I love them with Jesse Litchback. Like, Disarm the Descent is forever in my top 10 now. Like, nonstop listen to that. And then immediately after that, we went and saw Protest the Hero with Arch- and Architects mm-hmm. because, um, well, we blew a tire on the way to Lethbridge to pick up a buddy. And we're like, oh, look who's playing the- tomorrow. Wow. And I'm like, wait, I can see one of my favorite. I can see two of my favorite bands in two nights. Like I, I saw Architects way back and I still love them. But yeah. Protest the Hero and Kill Switch Engage are like, fuck, dude. Yeah. Make that happen right now. Yeah. I got the set list actually. Um, the Luke, the guitarist, uh, handed wow. it to me. And then the first, the main one is actually where I got that shirt and I got it signed by the band. But uh, Born of Osiris uh, played Warp Tour in 2012 and I drove to Seattle with some friends to go check this Fuck out. yeah. And no fucking sleep. First band to open is a band called After the Burial. Yeah. Never, no I'd never heard them before and I fell in fucking love instantaneously and I got to not only see them but I got to meet them and I got to meet Justin who R.I.P. God damn. Wow. I'm very, very thankful for being able to see that band and meet that band while wow. he was still alive because they were amazing. Saw Miss May I at the peak of when I really dug them which was cool. Got to see I wrestled a bear once when uh, No uh, way. Cor- yeah, Courtney had just taken over as well from uh, Unicron. So yeah, local Alberta chick like rocking it with fucking Fuck yeah, Bear once. Born of Osiris got to meet them, see the shirt. Um, they signed the shirt, and this is when Jason Richardson was not only playing with them but also with Chelsea Grin, mm. who played the end of the night. So I got to see who I think is probably my generation's best guitarist. Like I love Tosin, I think he's the most innovative. But when it comes to just like shred work, Richardson is just mind-boggling like Fuck he's yeah. the only guitarist i know who can do a solo tour with another drummer like he and luke holland just go hey do you want to like just do a tour together like we'll write an album just fucking you and i play our shit yeah, yeah. and it'll sell out and you're like holy fuck yeah it's like mike, he just mike like, portnoy and john Petrucci, like you know doing a exactly and uh he joined for that album and that album only and it's still in my opinion their best work Cool. And same with Chelsea Grin, like they he joined them for one EP and one EP only and left. And I'm not a Deathcore fan, but mm. oh my god, that EP is just he added elements to that where I was like, Can you guys just yeah. keep doing this, please? Yeah. But just being able to go and witness all that. And this was one month before I went to college the second time. So I'm like, do I really want to do this? <laughs> I mean that, that looks more fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember when Miss Me I hit. I was in the back, and they opened up with "Relentless Chaos," which was the main single off the album they had released prior to the one they were touring off of. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, I'll join the pit." 
And then I get a good view of the center of the pit. There's 50 hardcore dancers. And I'm like, I am Canadian and don't have health insurance. I'm pushing to the fucking rail. <laughs> True words have never been spoken. Yeah. Like, and I watched my buddy, my, oh, d- down, slight down story to the after the burial one. So mm-hmm. I brought push-up core to Seattle. I was yeah. the only Mad Hatter who was like, oh, this hit so hard. I'm doing push-ups in the middle of the pit. Yeah. But I came with my one buddy from Kelowna, <laughs> and he was the definition of the 2010 scene kid. Like, mm. the blonde hair, thin as fuck, big old glasses, yeah. skinny little tank top guy. Yeah. I feel so bad for him. He, he stood off to the side of the Poor, pit. Oh, no. this 45-year-old traditional metal, like, leather spikes. Just... Yeah. Scene kid. Oh, no. Saw him. Oh man! Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, felt real bad for him, and it was hot. Like this is like early August in Seattle. Not a fucking cloud anywhere. Like, yeah. thank God they have a slip and slide. That is also the best. Th- that was the best thing about Walter. Oh. They had a fucking slip and slide. Hey, are you too hot? Nice slip and slide. Here you go. Here you go. Go cool off. Like, yeah, those. That's are, cool, man. Those are my show stories. Fuck, one time, when I I went to go see Megadeth and the Rest in Peace anniversary tour, like, one of the first things we did, we're like, we're going for the front, because we're going for the front of fucking rail, because it was was in the Big Four building. Oh, shit. So it was a way smaller venue. Yeah. And... We you know we we get through we get to the front right we we didn't get to the rail at the beginning because like we're not gonna be those dicks who just fucking elbow before any yeah. band start but as soon as Exodus walked out Miles and I were like five rows back and we're like we're not gonna be in this mosh pit because when they play Bonded by Blood everyone's gonna fucking die so yeah. like we were like it's kind of smart about it I got to the front and then it, and all of a sudden you heard Bonded by Blood and they fucking went into it and like the pit that erupted like anyone past the rail like it yeah. went to like the edge of the rail and like I, I was like having to hold on and like and not get like sucked into this fucking I love pit. when that happens yeah dude it was unreal and um you know like hung on and you know got a good view of the rest of the show but my other highlight that I'll share and then I'll, I'll end the uh, the, the, the story the story segment now because I, I want to hear this next tune <laughs> um is like I went to go see the Canadian Carnage tour with Slayer and it was Megadeth was headlining. It was Slayer before Megadeth. And then it was, sorry, it was Megadeth, opposite opposite um, order. Megadeth, Slayer, Suicide Silence, <laughs> and uh, an Evile. No, no, Evile. It was another local, fuck, what is Evile? It was like, it was a local, like, Canadian thrash metal band. Anvil? bunch of old guys right yeah yeah yeah, man and um fuck oh my god it was one of the best shows ever but um during slayer the 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 pit opened up and went nuts oh obviously and then in the middle of it was in the middle of the beginning of like raining blood like one like you know when the so I guess some like smaller kid got knocked down in the pit and Tom Ray was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he stopped the song and was like, that kid's knocked down. Pick him the fuck up or else we're not playing. And then then the kid got brought up and then he was like, yeah, the ghost rest you fuckers out there. Like, you know, we want you guys to party hard and go nuts. But like if someone's falling over, pick them up. 
Fuck yeah. And then this back into it and it was like, like the brotherhood of the pit. Yeah. That is, that is ultimately, I think something everyone needs to always remember. And I'm, I know I have some friends who like to crowd kill and I'm mm. glad they're not here right now. Cause we will agree to disagree, but <laughs> I will heavily disagree on this. Cause I mm. think it goes heavily for why a lot of people are scared of shows. Those brain brain injuries. Scary, man. You don't want concussions. No, no man. man. Like, like sure. Like shit. if you and a bunch of other guys want to go fucking hard and throw elbows and legs, cool. Give a warning. So everyone else can get the fuck out. Yeah. Like totally. we get it. Like there's different forms of moshing, but if it's a primarily a, like a push pit, leave the elbows at home. Like don't mm. bring those out yet. If, or if you're going to make some goddamn space for yourself first. Yeah. And as always, if someone falls, pick them the fuck up. Mm-hmm. That is, that is like rule number one <laughs> of entering the pit. You fall or if someone falls, you pick them up. Everything else just you can leave with some bruises, but don't leave with a concussion or leave like with an yeah. actual injury. No one wants to deal with that shit. hundred percent, man. Keep it civil. Keep it no. heavy. Hell yeah. With that, let's get into the last band of the day. Uh, this is Black Fate with the song Savior Machine. Uh, a little bit about Black Fate. This is for fans of Dream Theater, Fate's Warning, Camelot, Nightwish, and Dio. Cool. Uh, they're from Greece. And they are releasing their new album, Ithaca, on October 23rd, 2020, via Rock Shots Records. With their heartbreaking world-class vocals, catchy hooks, and lyrics, along with crushing, no, crashing Guitar riffs, haunting melodies, and furious technical and melodic solos, Black Fate continues to satisfy bands with the release of their fifth studio album, Ithaca. It was mixed and mastered by Steve Lado, and it follows the full length Between Visions and Lies from 2014, Deliverance of Soul from 2009, uh, Peace a Dream from 2002, and Uncover in 2001. So these boys have been here for a while. So let's check out the single. If you dig it, go and find all their music on streaming platforms. Uh, Mark down October 23rd on your calendar as that is the release date for this new album. And without further ado, let's get into this track. (laughs) 